Welcome, Generational Change, Wednesday night. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And this is the last live stream we'll be doing before we know how this country is going to be run for the next couple of years. Mm, it'll be run pretty much the same as it's always been run. I think thought. you're probably right. Not a lot is going to change in that regard. No, nothing will fundamentally change. That's the one thing I know is nothing Man, will fundamentally change. That's not true. Oh, it's true. And in Florida... It's going to be interesting, people. It's going to be really interesting. The best thing that we can hope for in the state of Florida, because I think we pretty much know at this point how the top of the ticket is going to look. Are we able to help out some down ballot races with some yeah. really solid candidates? That's what we've been working that on. That can locally. really use our help yeah. because that is going to be the change that needs to happen. You're not going to get, you know, the House flip in Tallahassee, which, no. you know, it would be wonderful if that could ever happen one day. Uh, Mark Fabian, great to see you, sir. I think we're going to. We have... worked. Um, we worked early voting polls tonight for our friend Nick Sordle for mayor of Plantation. You guys yes. know that we've been um, supporting Nick, uh, and you know it's it's very interesting when you work polls. There's a very interesting cast of characters that are there. There's the people that are the candidates that are there. There's people that are paid to be there on behalf of candidates. And then there's volunteers. It's a very strange assortment. And loyalty is a very interesting thing. Double K, we're going to count you as a patron. Why That's don't you just be a patron? Do. Just where be a $5 patron. You know, he wants, he wants to give his money as he sees fit. I know, I know. Although I think he gets more mileage for his money if he actually does um, become a patron. Because I think... Well, uh, here's the thing. It's like out. when you do it right, when you do it on this, it's like Google gets the cut. You know, that's the only Damn difference. Them and not that patron technical. doesn't, but it's not the yeah. same. I think it's a lot less. Probably. But, um, but thank you, Double K. Oh, that's very thankful. Always appreciate it. So, so polls were interesting. And uh, there's always drama. Oh, you are. You're too nice. Are you? Under what oh, name? he's not going to sit. It's oh, 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 okay. It's all right, fine. I'm, I'm like, all right. But, um, Appreciate you. Yes, we do. Most sure, certainly. Uh, there's always drama. There's always drama. Yeah, unfortunately, that's like local elections. We saw that in Tampa High. Broward is Cooper nuts. City. Well, Broward does have a reputation. It does. That's been no a idea. known thing. It's so, like, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It really is. Well, we're just trying to transform politics into service. And I think there were enough people that were there that actually appreciated what we're doing. And so I know who to, it is. I know who she is. And so we're trying to spread. Oh, yeah, I get it now. Okay. And so we're trying to spread that throughout the state as best we can. And one of the people who is exemplifying that probably as well as anybody, especially in the part of the state where it seems that all the good people seem to gravitate to, which is the I-4 corridor, is Anthony Nieves, who's running for Florida's 47th state house district. Where is that? The Orlando metropolitan area. Good. And so while we really... Bastion of decency in that little area for, for people on the left. Orlando, Tampa is definitely the best you're going to find in the, in, the, in the Florida, in the Sunshine State. That is where you're going to find it. But let's get another one in there because Ann Escamani and Carlos Guillermo Smith can't do it alone. Anthony Nieves, welcome to Generational Change. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's a pleasure to be here and an honor to be here on uh, Generational Change. Uh, I know uh, you've been trying to reach me to your audience member. You have been trying to reach me for a couple of months now, and I've been pretty much a very difficult man to reach. Uh, as you can imagine, it's been a seven day a week operation. Uh, we know. 
you know, we're, we're leaving in the morning uh, before sunrise and we're coming home at night. You know, it's like that's all we see, you know, but it's what you have to do. And uh, we have a, 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 an interesting situation in, in House District 47. Uh, it's three years in the making. Uh, I ran in 2020, uh, did not proceed past qualifying due to the pandemic at the time. Uh, you know, we we were pretty much, uh, you know, the family said, I don't think it's best for you to keep this up, uh, knowing how, you know, enthused I was uh, at the time. Uh, but everything, you know, a couple of weeks later, we filed for 2022 and we immediately took to the streets. I mean, it was just a nonstop thing. However, we felt this cloud of uncertainty when we knew that come February, March, we would have the redrawn districts in place. So there was, wh- wh- what are we going to have? And in the case of uh, uh, 47, or at least my race, I was in House District 43. House District 43 was my neighborhood of Buenaventura Lakes, which is northeast Kissimmee, Florida, as well as all of Ponciana in the Osceola County uh, area. The largest, I'm Puerto Rican-American, born in New York of Puerto Rican parents. And uh, that area, this district would have been like the highest concentration of Puerto Ricans in the entire United States. Uh, With redistricting, they took out Ponciana 100% from my district and replaced that with St. Cloud, Florida, a complete change in demographics. I mean, it was, it's night and day. You old went from, people, right? Like old, older. Well, you pretty world. much went from like 70, 65, 75% Puerto Rican specifically as an ethnic group to uh, a, a city that in, 19, in 20, uh, 2010 uh, was like at 80% white, you know, right. uh, racial yeah. background. So uh, it was very, it was almost one of those things where, you know, we felt the brunt uh, in our campaign. If it wasn't one thing, it was another operating on two vehicles that were in and out of the shop. So we're really, and, and we actually had some difficulties even with fundraising that was actually quite interesting. So when the districts were changed from 43 to 47, um, Meta Technologies and others that were involved uh, did not change our disclaimer. We changed the disclaimer, but it did not reflect until, believe it or not, today after five months of trying to get the disclaimer changed. So we just felt we couldn't place any advertisements on social media with a disclaimer that wasn't correct stating, you know, Anthony Nevis for House 47 paid for by Anthony Nevis for House 43. Right. And we don't need we don't need the opposition parties to get on us with that on a legal matter and, and wow. deal with that. But it, it's a, it's an interesting thing. So in the primary, we were uh, out raised, I mean, literally like 14 to one between both of our opponents. Uh, And that was something that was quite interesting. Uh, One is a, you know, declared millionaire and the other was a retired uh, sheriff captain who was also the regional director of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And um, he seems to have been the the candidate that members of the Democratic Party chose at the time, you know, and it was, uh, again, welcome to the politics, Mr. Nieves, you know, this is how it is, you know, and, um, you know, we felt that, you know, with limited resources coming in uh, because of our social media, you know, uh, advertising challenges, we just had to simplify our campaign. And, you know, our literature was basically a business card 
but we printed tens upon you know tens of thousands of of business cards uh relying on a volunteer all volunteer base without any paid staff um you know it's always a challenge because everyone has their responsibilities their primary responsibilities uh but what we see right now is uh, a race that uh it's Although if the election were held today, I'd probably be the victor, but we're not seeing that great of a turnout amongst Democrats. Even here in this county, where we're classified as, I think, a D plus 10, um, which would show because of the large Latino population that I should be well ahead, which it appears I am as of now, based on numbers of parties uh, that have, uh, you know, turned out the vote. Uh, But if my opponent continues to chip at me at a half a percent, a full percent every day, and we know that the GOP is going to come strong on election day, uh, that is my concern. And it's a concern that I had for months in terms of, you know, not that I need the, needed the SOS, but don't assume that I've got this in the bag. because. Well, if- you know- I was just going to say, it's interesting because right now would not like I'd be terrified to be a down ballot candidate that's on that's a Democrat right now, because it's not it's not a good climate. Right. Like it's not a good it's not a good electoral climate. And that is just something more so than usual. Yeah. More so than usual. And so it's very unfortunate. But the Democrats do that to themselves. I think by not incre- creating any enthusiasm because they anoint candidates. They don't really they don't really like the idea of fair primaries. That's just not their thing. Correct. So they hand pick candidates, anoint them, and then you expect people to be all excited to come out in November. Yeah, I was clearly not the anointed uh, primary candidate. You know, uh, you know, our base was you know uh, strictly you know ultra progressive base. I mean, and. Uh, it was a challenge. And, and and here's the big thing. And this is something that's that's relative to not just for House District 47, but all of Central Florida. With the most recent census, the and I'll go back to again, not to bore anyone, but the Puerto Rican population, the Puerto Rican population now, Florida has surpassed that of New York. So there are more Puerto Ricans in the state of Florida outside of Puerto Rico than any other state. It's now here in Florida. Now, you know, if Again, elections were held today. It would probably be me, Joanna Lopez and myself as the only two uh, members of the House of Representatives that would be of Puerto Rican ancestry or and or descent. The problem we have here in Central Florida, especially in the Osceola County area, is that our the Democratic Party and I say our party we've aligned ourselves with the statehood party of Puerto Rico. And the statehood party of Puerto Rico, anyone that lives in Puerto Rico and it follows Puerto Rican politics knows that in Puerto Rico, the statehood party is considered to be the island Republican Party. Yet, yet you can be a registered Democrat or a registered Republican. So in Puerto Rico, we look at registered Republicans that are members of the statehood party as the far right. Members of the statehood party that are of the Democratic Party, they're center right. You know, they're aligned with the churches and they're against the unions and they're against. You know, it's it's exactly. So what happens is, is that here in Florida, the statehood party of Puerto Rico is very closely tied with the Democratic Party. I'll give you an example. I had gone to a leadership conference a few months back and I see in the lobby there was a set a table set up with a promotion of Puerto Rico becoming the 51st state and a huge poster board of who? 
the former governor, the deposed governor, Ricardo Rossell, who resigned after a half a million people showed up to the streets. And it was very tense situation a few years back when, you know, the people essentially forced the resignation of the of the governor, uh, which, by the way, he was here in Kissimmee a few days ago. And that raises my eyebrows when, you know, I have a statehood governor here in my area. Not so much. I mean, I know there's a lot of business enterprises that he's involved in, but you always wonder, could he be here for me? You know, <laughs> because I've spoken out against, you know, the uh, the statehood party. And that's something that very few Central Floridian politicians, especially of Puerto Rican descent, have ever done. They either focus on the statehood party and, the, you know, who's in power now, but no one you know, I'm a supporter of independence, and that is a rarity, you know. Let me ask you this, because this is interesting. So this large Puerto Rican population in Florida, how many of you think are people that came directly from Puerto Rico, or are they Puerto Rican New Yorkers that moved here from New York? They're mostly uh, from New York, uh, followed okay. by Chicago, Illinois, uh, okay. and then you also from the Humboldt Park section of Chicago. And you also have Hartford, Connecticut, a large group from Hartford. And then finally, in number four, I would say North Philadelphia is usually the big crowd that uh, is here, at least canvassing. You know, as we're canvassing, uh, as we've been canvassing essentially for three years now, uh, they're mostly that group that came over during the, uh, the Hurricane Maria, um, uh, you know, forced migration, I should say, uh, that was a, uh, most of them have returned back to Puerto Rico. Oh, I was just asking from the perspective of, I grew up here, I am a second generation native Floridian, and never growing up, was there a large Puerto Rican population in in South Florida, like, and in Florida in general, like that just was not the, the predominant Popular, it just wasn't. So that's why I just find it really interesting. Like this is news to me that that's how yeah. big the population is. Oh yeah, it is. It's it's um, it's incredible. I mean, I, I during the pandemic, I traveled to New York to visit my parents. You know, avoiding airfare at the time, just driving. I drove about eleven times to New York in like the last sixteen months. And uh, you know, when I went over there, you know, when I left the Bronx eighteen years ago and I moved to uh, to Orlando in two thousand four initially. You know, I, I, you know, as a Puerto Rican in the Bronx, especially, you know, hip hop culture and everything, you know, you felt like we were the dominant grouping here, you know, with the biggest say. It's a lot changed 18 years later when I go back and I see that it's, you know, there are a lot of Mexicans and Nigerians with wonderful communities that are being established. Uh, But it's not. We've moved. We've moved on. We've split. You know, migrated south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, politics was always something that I was always interested in. One day becoming involved in, Uh, of course, consulting with a lot of our freedom fighters in Puerto Rico's uh, illustrious history of of resistance. Uh, You know, I would get a lot of advice from some of the old timers. Don't do it. Don't get into politics. It's not the game you want to be involved in. And when you're hearing this from national icons. You take note of it. You know, you really take note of that. And uh, but here it is. The time is now. You know, I'm at an age where I can reach out to that conservative Latino Spanish speaking base. At the same time, I can really relate to a lot of the the younger generation. I mean, my son actually graduated from the same high school that uh, Maxwell Frost graduated from in, in Osceola County. So there's there's you know, it's a 
before, you know, it's a small community and, uh, you know, it, it is what it is, is what I tell people, you know, but you got to get out and you have to knock on doors. You know, we see the amounts of money that are being raised. I mean, it's absurd when you raise 6000 for a primary against over $120,000 and you realize that most of that money is being flushed down the drain with marketing consultants that I don't know what they're providing you. You're sending ten thousand a month to somewhere in Washington D.C. and yeah. you know if I had the ten thousand, do you know how many business cards I would make with ten thousand dollars? It would be it really, insane. It you really, know, it really makes you wonder how much money uh, Andrew Gillum wasted in the 2018 general. You know, and, and it's it, what I tell people is that it's it, it's sad because we're we're at, we're at a point, and and this is what I tell people. You know, I, I I specialize in two things. You know, reaching out to the Spanish speaking community, and number two. Uh, monitoring the far right in my community. I've been doing that since I moved here from uh, from New York, and it was something that was, uh, you know, it's it's still mind-numbing for me, you know. But we do, I, I educate the community to let them know, listen, Florida and Texas is all really right now that the GOP has. They're at a point of desperation where they're putting everything out there. And why we're not giving our people that same type of, you know, push, but with our message, it's beyond me, you know, and it's, and it's why I feel that we're, you know, we're losing, we're losing that interest amongst the younger generations. And that is the future. They know what they want. They know what, what they need. And if you allow them to express themselves accordingly, you know, you know, good things will happen. But right now we're, uh, again, as you stated, the fear, um, is not there. I'm not, I'm not fearing anything, but again, on the down ballot, I am monitoring it daily. And we are really, I mean, we're at the point that we are, we're moving signs from one area to another because we're limited with the signs that we have out and what we're getting in in the next few days. But we monitor traffic reports to find out where is the traffic going to be tomorrow? Because that's where we need to put our strip of signage, you know, and it's something that... uh what could you use assistance with at this point with six days to go? I mean, you know, I, I believe that if it's if it falls in place with the primaries, you know, uh, at this point, uh, I believe the last day to uh, contribute, uh, I know via like avenues like ActBlue and so forth, would be tomorrow, I believe, at 11.59 uh, p.m. So if anyone could visit, uh, I mean, specifically if you go to Nevis for Florida, if you go to nevisforflorida.com, uh, just click on contribute. It'll send you right over to our um, Act Blue link. Whatever we get, it's really going into signage at this moment and basic lit, which is the business card that we'll be handing out to members in our community. Uh, the, turn, the turnout is low amongst Democrats, and so we have to get over that. I wanted to address this question because we get this a lot. And the truth is, I've even spoken about this a lot on the show. Um, the question from Mark is how effective are Florida House Democrats as the minority party in a state that is very conservative? OK, first off, we're not a conservative state. We're a very libertarian state. And that is something that that people don't realize. But that aside, there's a lot of defense there for sure. Democrats in Tallahassee are definitely playing defense, but somebody has to do that. Right, so, right. so it's yeah, it is what like you said, it is what it is. There are yeah. they are a majority. They are going to win most of the time. But how strong our advocates are on the left to counter that 
is important. It's so, very important. And, and and one of the things I tell people is, listen, you know, uh, a, a, another two year term is not guaranteed, especially when you when I came in the way that I came in. So, it, you know, we we have to hit the ground running and, and really get out to the community. And it's really just about if you're not registered, register. And if you need to uh, pick a party, choose a party, whether it's one of the main two parties or not, you know, but we need you to participate in the you know, and what that party puts forth, you know, during, you know, their general election. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's really something that uh, right now that's what we're doing. I mean, we, we've really, we have like no watch party schedule. I mean, we're just going to probably huddle up about a half a dozen to a dozen of us because I, I don't even have my parents flying down from New York. You know, if they're going to come down, let them come down for a swearing in ceremony in Tallahassee. But I'm not going to have them come down here when this is really something that uh, it's not something that I only know since I was pretty much born. But, you know, I come from a family of activists and uh, they're very proud. But, you know, they're they're They know the game and they know the system and they know that being a down ballot, as you stated, candidate at this time, it's it's very trying. I mean, I haven't had a good night's sleep in about three months now, maybe four. <laughs> so one more week. It's almost over, you know, regardless. But, you know, we're big proponents of the fact that the campaign is about reaching out and building community and meeting people. So it isn't, I mean, yes, you want candidates to win, right? Like you definitely want to win. But the campaign itself is this vehicle to sort of connect people and communities. And that's so important. And I think that especially when we're talking about a race of a district your size, where you really can meet the people. You know, yes, absolutely. Not right. it's, it, that's the beauty. It's of a the small, world. it's an actually, you know, from, from a, you know, territorial standpoint, it's very small house district yeah. 47. It's a very dense in population. And, and it's incredible how simple it is to knock on the door and you can automatically, especially those that come from larger, more mixed uh, communities, you can knock on a door and I can quickly adapt to know, you know, where that person is from. And when they respond to me, you're almost like talking to extended uncles and aunts in your district. When you reach out to members in your community, you realize how much more in common you have with your fellow human and and, and how similar they might seem to your beautiful, crazy uncle and aunt and grandparent, you know, and it's, and, and it's, it's a simple thing. I mean, we want to get town hall meetings on the ground uh, from day one, something that is, is, is really unheard of, you know, at, 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 at this level. And, and, and it's, and we, we need this because what's happening is the far right has uh, successfully extended their arm into our communities. We see that here with the rise of far right, uh, mostly Spanish speaking uh, churches that have planted the seed to many organizations that are similar to like Moms for Liberty, but the Spanish version of that, you know, they appear at school board meetings and they're, you know, and they appear in numbers and they are taking over our school boards. And, and you know, that that's a challenge for us. So we, we, we plan to bring a brand into office if the people uh, decide to elect us that will see us actively engaged in our school board meetings, our city council meetings, our county commission meetings, and and reaching out to the community because, you know, if we want to stay in our seat, knowing how the situation is and the political climate of Florida is, we have to get to work immediately. Maybe one day of rest before, you know, we keep the show on the road, you know? 
I think it's important. And I would think you actually would be very appealing to independent voters as well, which most people really are. And a lot of what you're talking about with the, those right people, a lot of it, I believe, is religion based. Yes, um, and a lot of those people, they weren't going to support you anyway. But, That's correct. That is correct. So, but um, but the middle people, the, the libertarian people, the independent people, which is a bulk of our red in Florida. It is. It is. It is. Um, it is. That's those are those can be very reasonable people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the separation of church and state just seems to be lost uh, by so many people in politics. Wow. Yeah, and, and and you know one of the things that you know we we thought to to seek you know a national uh, endorsement, a PAC endorsement by the Free Thought you know uh, 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 fund, and that was because you know I'm, I myself am a lapsed Catholic. I went to the same high school that uh, com- the late comedian George Carlin attended, and I wish he was oh. here alive now uh, oh. to see. Uh, it, it was it was something that yeah it was a uh, Cardinal Hayes uh, an all male Bolivar parochial high school in the Bronx in the poorest congressional district in America but Regis Philbin Martin Scorsese and wow George Carlin attended that school you know as well as I believe John J Sweeney the former AFL CIO national president yes. uh, he also attended the high school so uh, you know it's uh, you know I think about those things and I say you know it's it's kind of nuts how um, the situation is, but you know, in, in in general, when you don't have that separation of church and state, and you allow it to go, and you allow the people to be uneducated on that importance, you just lose it, and you just completely lose ground. And next thing you know, you see another church pop up with that, you know, far right mentality. I mean, you look at these churches, the churches I referred to, and all of them are cluttered with political campaign, you know boards. I mean, and this is in the front on their property, like they're, you know, separation of church and state, but they're putting who they're supporting. And that's, 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 in, that's absurd to me. Completely well, insane. You know, we've got Jews it. don't do that. <laughs> you won't see that at the synagogues. The rabbis don't get involved. It's not, you know what? And surprisingly, you know, and I say this again, I'm a lapsed Catholic, but you don't see that in front of Catholic churches either. The Catholic no. church will tell you that, you know, no. they'll, they'll no. tell you that in their gatherings and, uh, uh, neither will you see that in mosques or in various temples uh, right. across the you really see it. You, you really see it's it. Evangelicals. In, it's in the South. Well, it's in the South, and that's what it is. And that's why. Welcome to Florida. Yes, it, it's like this in Central Florida, the Panhandle. It's like this in Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee. So it's and, and and the statehood party. I, I sorry to interrupt you, but it, when we you going on that list that you named, uh, if we add the statehood party of Puerto Rico, same thing. That's what they do. They operate the same way with that. You know, it just the church and state separation does not seem to be there. You know. Yeah. Something that I was thinking of when you were talking about the statehood party and how we how they're affiliated with the Democrats, which isn't remotely surprising at all. It really sounds to me like how I felt about when our congresswoman was supporting uh, Guaido in Venezuela. Like that's who she, oh, right, she right. that's she's decided. Well, this whole group of people decided who their leader should be. But anyway, that's what it reminded me of. Like, of course, they're affiliated with the more conservative group. Of course they are. In any other country, they wouldn't even be center. Yeah, right, right. I mean, because I mean, if you look at the history of the uh, independence movement in Puerto Rico and um yeah, it's it's you know, it, but but the dead generation, that bad bunny generation, they are veering left, you know, with the quickness, and and that is why 
it's disappointing for that information not to be reaching Central Florida, where on the island, the island youth are taking over and they're becoming involved and they are moving to the to the left, uh, uh, the far left, I should say. And uh, you don't hear about that here. You know, it's there's this push that Puerto Rico, oh. that statehood, Puerto Rico statehood. And who's this character, Anthony Nieves? Mind you, I had the uh, it was a talk show about three weeks ago, the uh, very famous former producer to like Telemundo or, or Univision. And he has a, an online uh, podcast and uh, very popular. And he the first thing he said was, we have three socialist congresspersons that are running in Florida. Congresspersons, like you had, he mentioned Maxwell Alejandro Frost as being Puerto Rican when he's not, you know. Then he mentioned me. I'm not running for Congress. I'm running for State House of Representatives. And, and then he said, we're both like AOC. And I'm like, where does, and he has a following. It's pure nonsense, but they have a following when you look at the likes and you see that they're, you know, 10,000, 20,000 strong, you know, uh, viewers watching this feed. Uh, it, it's alarming, you know, and it's yeah. you have to be you have to take proportion. Socialism. Ask them to define socialism for you. It's yeah. always so entertaining yeah. when you do that. It's hilarious. And, 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 you know, he's a socialist. Yeah. Well, when I jumped on uh, in 2019, uh, I was interviewed by uh, Scott Powers of FloridaPolitics.com. And uh, I, you know, it was an interview. He introduced himself to me. And that was the first time I kind of got involved with any uh, reporter regarding my campaign. And it was declared, you know, I declared, I stated, you know, democratic socialism. <laughs> and this is what it is. And, and, and a lot of people, that's another reason why initially those that might have wanted to get close to me stood far. You know, they were like, wait a minute. Now they see me with an endorsement from the Working Families Party, Orlando DSA, which I'll be I actually soft announced that I have to drop the uh, the drop it on social media uh, tonight and tomorrow. But Orlando Democratic Socialists of America, they've endorsed our campaign. So that's something that, you know, taking a DSA tag to the legislature, that's that'll be a first, you know, uh, had we put this with more time. We might've sought, you know, a state endorsement or a national endorsement, but that'll all come right now. We were focused on knocking on doors repeatedly because that's, that's what you have to do to win. And we, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's very fulfilling when you, when you're almost at the end game and if the results are favorable uh, to see that, you know, the thousands upon thousands of, 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 of citizens that you reached, you know, are, you know, are getting you, giving you an opportunity to represent them. And that's what this is. It's an opportunity to represent, to, you know, represent the people and to avoid as much of the unclaimed fun money that's out there, you know, that you don't want to get involved in because, I mean, it's like a carrot, literally, you know, swinging in front of you, you know, do you want this for your campaign? And absolutely not. You know, I, I will yeah. try, we will try our best to avoid anything remotely close to that uh, because, you know, it's it, it almost involves the, uh, you know, your 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 upbringing, even if there was religion involved in your upbringing. You know, you, you know, I mean, the right and wrong, whether you're Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, if what you're doing is right or wrong. I, I can speak on both fronts. It's called Jewish and Catholic guilt. And so <laughs> it's it's equally. Be, uh, 
you'll be aware of that if you were. Yeah, absolutely, so. absolutely. We uh, we pitched in. Uh, hopefully, the uh, money that we give will definitely help. Oh us. wow! Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you, thank well, you, sorry. absolutely. That is a wonderful gesture. We're not I exactly, that. We're a small. We're a small but mighty channel. We're not exactly. Absolutely. You know, you know and, and another thing, you know, to to all your viewers, you know, when you covered. Uh, uh, my dear friend Kevin Parker, when he uh, tr- uh, made yeah. that run, that Whoa. primary run for Congress against Eric yeah. Soto, very bold. And 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 actually, one of the things that I heard amongst my Latino Latinx community that was like, "What are you doing supporting Kevin Parker over Darren Soto?" You know, Darren Soto is the congressman of this county of this district. You know, and I heard it till. The cows came home, you know, and it's dealing with that. And and it's just so much that you have to. I've realized that the quieter you are to a certain degree, depending on the race, the more effective you can be, you know. Yeah. And uh, we hope that we can show not only our, our party, but the state that you do not need to raise that excess amount of cash to win and or to flip a seat, you know. And uh, if that spreads, you know, it's uh, things will be favorable to us. But the the far right and the GOP, they're throwing everything at us. I mean, some of the commercials that I'm seeing here against my opponents, I'm like, I'm, I'm amazed. I mean, very high quality, very engaging in English and Spanish uh, media outlets. And they're depicting my fellow uh, uh hopefully future colleagues uh, and uh, within the democratic party and the state house as, as communist almost, you know, like, you know, they, they're putting the designs on, yeah, you know, the red background, the, 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 it's just, it's absolutely nuts. And when you look at that, you know, here I am as the, you know, proclaimed democratic socialist, and I have not seen any of that as of yet, you know, so. Um, we, we can't thank you enough, obviously. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has got five days left starting tomorrow. And if you guys haven't gone to nevisforflorida.com, make sure that you do get over there. And if you can chip in in any capacity, and it doesn't necessarily have to be monetary, you can get on the phones, knock on doors if you're in anywhere within earshot of Orlando. This would obviously be one of those house seats that is gettable, even if the Democratic establishment could care less about it. But to work we care. Polls. You can work polls. And that will definitely make a huge difference. If Anthony's message has resonated as it has with us, we hope it will with you. We hope you'll get out there and show some support. Anthony, last Thank word you. before you go. Really appreciate you coming on this evening. Show out. Get it done. If you're passing by a voting uh, station, uh, just hop. Just take two minutes, run in, run out. Select your candidate uh, for a write-in ballot. You know, or what you just have to vote. I mean, if it's just for the amendments, if it's just for select candidates, uh, get out and let's get this vote out, especially amongst uh, those registered Democrats. We need to vote. If we come out to vote, we win. It's that simple. Let's get that vote out. Anthony, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Thank you. Have thank a great evening. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye now. I felt that I had to sneeze right there. Yeah, like the worst possible. I'm sorry. I was trying to hold it. I had to sneeze. What do you want me to do? What are we, gonna, uh, what are we talking like with Luke about? Story. What are we talking uh, with Luke about? It'll just be whatever the hell we want to talk All about. Right, I'm just curious if there was like a like a topic. Well, I mean, obviously there's a number of things going on in, uh, you know, Seattle and, you know, just in the state of Washington, ballot initiatives, things like that. So... 
there is much to talk about. But of course, he is a friend. We don't have any really good ballot initiatives right now. In Florida? No. There's nothing great. I mean, there's a few things that are amendments, but there's nothing. Nobody's working on There's nothing sexy. No, it's Florida, and we're just kind of screwed right now. So that said, the state of Washington is not so screwed because they do have a pretty good ground game, especially with uh, whole Washington, which is fighting to put universal health care on the ballot, which I think would be a very good thing. There's also city, uh, you know, type of initiatives. Uh, but Luke is obviously very fortunate to be with an earshot of who I believe is one of the very best representatives we have in the United States, which is uh, Kashama Sawant. Um, she should be representing the U.S. Congress, not Pramila Jayapal, but I digress. You know what, so, though? Some people are effective where they are for a reason that they're where they are. And somebody like her would be kind of neutered somewhat in Congress because we see that happen time and time again. Well, maybe we'll make her the mayor of Seattle. Who well, knows? that, okay. Luke Parcher, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, thank you guys for having me. And uh, if I could just say, there's nothing better than trying to prepare for an interview where the topics are whatever the hell. (laughs) (laughs) We're very professional here. We're very professional. No, I mean, obviously we have the elections in five days and there's a lot. Yeah, we figured we would just sort of just sit here and just shoot the shit, talk politics, see what, what moves you. What have you been covering a lot lately? Like what's been going on on your show? So I actually have not, anyone who might be a a fan of my show may have noticed, I haven't done a show in weeks, and that is in part because I've been down here in Seattle. I I live in Bellingham, which is about an hour and a half north of Seattle, right below the border. Um, I've actually been down here in Seattle helping out with the city initiative for ranked choice voting. Um, We have three, unfortunately not statewide yet, but it is city of Seattle ranked choice, and we also have Clark County and Island County here fighting for ranked choice voting. There's also seven others around the country. The state of Nevada is voting on it. A city in in Illinois called Evanston is voting on it. There's a city in Colorado. The rest of them escape me, but it's it's cities and counties um, outside of Nevada fighting for ranked choice. And I think it would just be such a a substantial improvement to our political process. I think it would bring people in who currently feel disenfranchised for very righteous and understandable reasons based upon how the two parties behave. Um, You know, we've found that it it, it increases turnout and participation. And I think that's healthy for our democracy, regardless of what result in any given race it it may provide. so we're really hoping that we can get it passed out here. We've seen that it's, you know, Australia's used it for 100 years. Ireland uses it. Uh, San Francisco's used it for about 20 years. It's entrenched. People like it. And we really are hoping that we can get it passed and get more people involved here in the process out in Seattle. I think it's key. We talk about it a lot. It's one of the things that if you ask people, they support that. When you explain yeah. to them, when you explain to them what it is, because in fact, it is the most democratic result that you would get in any electoral process. Like when you just sit there and I am not a statistician, but just I know that when you break down those numbers, it's the most democratic election process. So most people will support that. Legislators don't want that. People that are there don't want that. So these are one of those things that for states that have ballot initiatives, this is one of the ones that we need to be pushing. I think one of the best examples I saw in recent memory was uh, Maine has ranked choice voting. Yeah. And the two candidates, I mean, obviously, Susan Collins is the GOP candidate. It was Lisa Savage, Savage, who was running on the Green Party ticket. Now, the Green Party, which can't get out of its own way ever and can't get more than a half of maybe one percent at most. Can I finish? Sorry. So she was still able to get five percent of the vote. And what that told me is even with no money, Ranked choice voting allows campaigns that have a good message to start to build the infrastructure. And that is why. 
they move heaven and earth to stop it from ever happening. And you're going to yeah. see what's going to what, what I do think, because Matthew Ho is running for the U.S. Senate, as I'm sure you're uh, aware, down that. in North Carolina. He is a great candidate, that. but he is running in the in the Green Party. Yeah. And there is no question, very likely, Ted Budd is going to win that seat and they are going to rain holy hell on him and the Green Party, as the Democrats always do, because it's never their fault. It's always the other person. Right. It couldn't be that we don't like Sherry Beasley, right? <laughs> Just the thought. I'm just saying. Well, there's, yeah, there's there's no onus put on 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 the candidates themselves to earn <laughs> votes anymore. It's just this, yeah. there's this this assumption. It's really quite crazy. But if I could just quickly echo a couple of points you guys made there. Um, I've I've worked campaigns before. I worked the Bernie campaign in 2020 and traveled across. I did four states on the Bernie campaign in 2020. As as popular candidate as Bernie was, that was a much harder sell than ranked choice voting. To to the point that Jen made there, like when we're talking to people at doors and talking to people on the phone here, ranked choice voting is incredibly popular. There, it's it's just it is an easy sell. You you explain just the yeah. basics of how it works, and people are on board immediately. It's not mm -hmm. like trying to sell a partisan or ideological candidate. So I I do have hope that we can you know, over the next handful of election cycles, um, implement this in a number of places around the country. And it would be really great to get it nationwide. I mean, y y how many times have you guys heard like the, well, I like the leftist candidate, but I don't feel yeah. like I can vote for him because then I'm helping the Republican. You know, it's it, 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 that's not a healthy democracy. That's not a representative <laughs> system at all. And I think ranked choice allows people to both vote ideologically and or, or I'm sorry, yeah, like idealistically. Here's my favorite candidate. And yeah. also pragmatically down the ballot. Here's the person I'm going to leave off of my ballot because I really don't want them. So it, it really lets you fully express your conscience, um, with, you know, and, and, and you don't have to play this like pundit game of who do I think is going to be the final two? Who do I think my vote most, you know, most helps? Right. And like you shouldn't have to do it like a fantasy football strategy, right? Yeah. yeah. And it makes you wonder why Andrew Yang, who is a friend of ours, why his focus is on this, you know, trying to build a new political party when if the fight really was ranked choice voting, I think he could build a tremendous amount of momentum and a lot of money to go with it because people really are sick of this system. You're seeing yeah. it all the time. Uh, we talk to countless people that Every day. they don't want anything to do with this system anymore. They don't want to vote yeah. Democrat. They don't want to vote Republican. If you just focus on, let's say, a local race, as we are doing, for a school board, for mayor, for city council, county commission, they're nonpartisan races. And in that case, as we have discovered, you could be the most blue no matter who or the most MAGA red Republican. It doesn't matter. They will listen if there is no D or R attached to the name. And so ranked choice voting to me should be one of the primary fights from an electoral standpoint that we have going forward as far as I can see. And if I could just add one more thing, the, a guy that I've worked with quite regularly, I met him on the Bernie campaign. He's been on my show quite a bit. If anyone watches my show, you'll recognize uh, Vinay Orakandi. He's an attorney and activist. He's, he's also helping out with this ranked choice stuff. But he originally lived in Australia. And he's actually told me there were a couple of times where he was in a campaign room and someone had dirt on the other candidate, right? And and either the campaign manager and I, and I mean substanceless dirt. I don't mean you know like like so and so cheated or whatever. And, right. and the candidate or the campaign manager will say we're not using it because we actually want their second or third rankings. We don't want to piss off their constituency. So it, it makes our our politics more issue based, more substantive, less nasty. It cuts into the character assassinations. Um, it it inspires coalition building to actually take take action to help the community. I think in in just about every conceivable way ranked choice is a superior system. Yeah. And we know why they won't have it. Look, we still, we have closed primaries here. So we're going to, we're Florida. So they'll be having like 
open and fair elections in other states and we'll still be down here with closed primaries. It's going to be pitiful. Yeah, but they all work together in concert. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people really don't understand. And I think you can explain it pretty well, because Washington, while nowhere near the population size of, you know, California, uh, it has very similar politics. It's a supermajority blue state. And yet it's one of the most corporate states in the whole country. Yeah. One of the most regressive tax systems in the whole country is in Washington state, despite the fact that we're one of the, like you said, probably five or six most liberal or leftist or progressive or however you want to define that um, states in the country. And, you know, to, I, I caught the end of that uh, discussion that you guys were having with Anthony. I thought it was fantastic. Hadn't heard of him because he's, he's Florida state, but shout out to Anthony. He sounds like he's running a great campaign. Um, you know, the, I, I think there's, I, I, I think a lot of times the Democrats candidates like themselves, like I'll, I'll use the example in Washington state. You mentioned how liberal we are. Patty Murray is 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 actually like this is a serious race against Tiffany Smiley. This yes. is a deep blue state and a and a Democratic senator who's been entrenched for 20 years is struggling to beat a far right extremist maniac. And, well, and that is because, you know, she's number three in the Senate. And, and, and yet she really doesn't do much outside of, of, of toe the party line. So we, we have a, we have a very machine version of politics in, in Washington state outside of a few like Shama Sawant. There are a couple other socialists on the Seattle City Council. Um, but for the most part, we have a very partisan machine oriented version of politics here. And, you know, even even Pramila Jayapal, who, who, who sort of, you know, purports herself to be a progressive and, and perhaps is progressive compared to like most of the Democrats. But she's she's to me, she's just been so feckless and so weak. And she has been such a disappointment to actual lefties who were banking on her and her caucus to, to, to take any stand on any of these issues at all. Um, and I think people are just sick of it. I mean, I just I, I think people in Washington are so sick of it that they're disenfranchised from the process entirely. I think lefties are deciding why the hell am I going to vote for Patty Murray when I could just write someone in or vote green or not even vote at all. Um, and, you know, again, to, like not to keep beating the dead horse, but this is one of the things I think ranked choice really addresses it. it it brings people back into the process. Um, and, and also, even if it just p- forced Patty a little bit left, what if there was, what if this was a ranked choice process and she actually had to come out here and say, I will fight for Medicare for all in order to excite her base because someone else came and ran to her left. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, we, it's, it, it, you know, to answer your question, we, we have a very machine version of politics, despite the, you know, very progressive or liberal um, constituency that Washington state has, at least to the west of the mountains. We're speaking with Luke Parcher, host of the Luke Parcher Show on the Real Progressives. You know, you they know. have huge income inequality there. Oh, like, absolutely. Out of control. Yeah, there. And I know that they also have here serious housing issues there. Um, and so when you see states that are blue states like Washington, like California, and you look at their unhoused populations and you look at the what people who are working full time jobs but still can't afford to live and are living in cars or under freeways, um, that doesn't speak highly of what all the people falling in the Democratic line are saying. So what how does that you know, how do we reconcile those two things? I'll give you a good example. And I still think in terms of the 2016 primary, and there is a lot of things that can be laid at the feet of Debbie Wasserman Schultz and a few others. But Washington state in particular was exceptionally egregious in how they conducted business. Bernie turned his campaign in the right direction and probably would have pulled it off if not for the shenanigans after he won the Michigan primary. Now, what stands out the most regarding the Washington caucus primary is the fact that Bernie came within an eyelash of clearing three-fourths of the vote, which means he would have secured all 100 delegates. And as a result, 
every single super delicate voter uh, in the state of Washington <laughs> still voted for Hillary Clinton, led by Patty Murray. And to me, that's when anyone pretending like they give a rat's rear end about the GOP. He's like an elephant. And, you know, try to figure him. out whether or not we live in a democracy. No, you don't have a democracy. In fact, the yeah. democracy is even better on the GOP side because oh, they don't have super delegates. Yeah. Oh, they're infinitely more democratic in their primary process than the Democrats are. If the Democrats yeah. didn't have super delegates, I would almost feel like Bernie probably would have pulled it off as Trump did because there wouldn't have been. Remember, oh, they he also, definitely would have. Well, they also kept on doing on national TV. If you remember, they kept on putting up. Not the total delegate count, but the yeah. delegate with the super delegate count to make it look like Bernie was an idiot to even continuing to uh-huh. run against Hillary. So yeah. Washington State in particular is uh, incredibly egregious in how they do business because That's they're considered to be, you know, a progressive state, but not really. Well, well yeah. Darren Soto were in the progressive caucus. That's yeah. I'm just saying. One thing we could give Debbie Wasserman so, Schultz credit for, she doesn't She doesn't pretend. She used the word progressive on her mailers. She actually said yes, she claimed okay. to be progressive in the Sun Sentinel interview. She said uh, she claims to be progressive. Well, yeah. that, that word has, if you could speak on <laughs> that, Luke, I think the word <laughs> yeah. progressive has really been co-opted. We got to drop it's, it at this point. We need to go elsewhere. It's I, I've started calling myself a leftist. It, it is, you know, that'll probably become an ambiguous term in the same way at some point here soon. But yeah, like Patty Murray's out here running TV ads claiming she's a progressive, you know. And I mean, I, I, at that point, it's just that the term means nothing. It's like when the Republicans call everyone a fucking communist. It's like that term doesn't mean anything anymore when you literally apply it to anybody who's not like a raging right wing fascist. You know what I mean? Um so I I, I I absolutely think it's a problem on the left. Like these terms become so ambiguous. We don't even know what to call ourselves. We end up fighting about it. We only fight them. We eat our own. But what yeah. I absolutely have taken to doing now is I don't just say I'm a leftist. I say I'm an actual leftist, not a partisan leftist. Um, yeah. I Because when I talk to people that are libertarians and we have a lot of people, you know, that are, these are just regular people and they're so turned off by the woke stuff and by the Democrats. And they think that the Democrats are leftists, which we know that they're not leftists, but to the people that are the normal, reasonable people, they, they associate that. And so when I say it, I say, I'm an actual leftist, not a partisan, not a party leftist. And that's, well, yeah, I think there's a nice comparison to the to the current elections right now. I mean, I, I certainly don't want to demean social issues, which I do think are incredibly important. And I'm very much left on those issues. But here's the thing. Democrats run exclusively on those issues. In fact, I was just seeing a breakdown. They, they've spent like three hundred and twenty million on abortion alone. Now, again, important issue. Bring your base out on abortion. You should be talking about abortion after the Dobbs decision. But to completely neglect economic issues. When voters are telling you in polls that the top two things that matter to them are the economy and inflation, which I grant there's some like overlap there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's seriously like I thought we learned this 30 years ago. Right. Um, But no, it's for them to completely neglect the economics, especially, by the way, not that the Democrats have a great case to make on the economy, but they certainly can slam Republicans on the economy because the Republican plan is let's further squash workers for them to not be out there making that case and instead be hyper fixating exclusively on these social issues. When they also know that those are the issues that turn off a lot of middle Americans, I sincerely from from like a purely strategic standpoint, I do not understand it at all. And it's probably in Bernie's credit. He's been out talking about this a little bit. It might cost them quite a few seats here this election. OK, well, I'm going to posture this, okay? Because I have an idea. I think I know why. Because 
They're all the same on economic issues. Yeah. They don't want to do anything about the economy. And if it weren't for Roe versus Wade, they wouldn't have done any fundraising and they wouldn't get any votes this year. And that is why. And the thing is, they don't want to do the economic things. If they did, they would. So yeah. the reason they don't run on it is because they don't want to. And by the way, people like Nancy Pelosi, they're willing to forego women's rights if it maintains their economic position. And she proved that mm-hmm. by campaigning for Quayar in San Antonio the same week that Roe versus Wade was overturned. You can't yeah. play both sides. Sorry. I, so they don't. Yeah. I no, and I, uh, no, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. Oh, I, I, I mean, I was just going to say, like, I, I, I think this is really the Democrats as a whole. Look at what they did when Barack Obama was elected. He, he promised to, to over or, or to codify Roe day one. And, and a couple months later, he comes out in a press conference with 60 senators on his side and he comes out in a press conference. That's no longer a priority. Oh. They, they, they're mocking us with these with these claims. Yeah. Emerald, the Dems are not afraid are, are not afraid to run on the economy. They specifically don't run on it because they know the direction that the populist left in particular want them to run on. And that goes against who funds their party. Right. The reason yeah, they don't run on changing the economy is because they don't want to change the economy. They're yeah. perfectly fine with the way it is. They wouldn't even bring a vote on insider trading to, to yeah. Congress. They're perfectly content with their brazen corruption and they have no reason to want to change anything. So they love things like Roe versus Wade because it's the only thing they can get people to come out and vote against Republicans. Perfect on. example of a stat that I saw the other day regarding how much Loudoun County, Virginia, is the second or third wealthiest county in the whole country. It's just outside of D.C. It's where McLean is, a number of these very affluent communities. And this is a this is a county that was a Republican stronghold for the better part of half a century, maybe longer. Uh, Since Obama, it's been a Democratic stronghold. And to me, that kind of tells you all you need to know. Mm -hmm. That tells you that the Democratic Party is the party of the affluent suburbanites. That is not a party of working people. The yeah. Republican Party, which still represents affluent suburbanites, has hoodwinked millions upon millions of working class people into thinking they're going to represent them. And so eventually something's going to give yeah. because the people are not going to give you can fool all of the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all of the time. You can't fool all of the people all of the time. That's and so they, profound. And they are yeah. starting to get it. So let me make a suggestion to all of you. This is our pick for 2024. We're going with Mansion and the Parliamentarian for 2024. Um, these are the people that are apparently have the most power in our party. <laughs> Um, so that we, we think we should put them in charge. So our, our endorsement is for mansion parliamentarian. I forget her name, but we're just going to go with parliamentarian. Yeah. And, and just to, to double down on everything you guys have been saying, I, you could show a toddler polls on each individual policy here on these economic and socioeconomic issues that we're talking about. And they would say, oh, well, it's obvious you run on Medicare for all and you run on tuition free college and you run on raising the minimum wage and a federal job guarantee. Like it would be so obvious to anyone just taking Democrats try to say we just are here to we, we got to beat the Republicans. So we have to grovel to the center to beat the Republicans. The polls belie that it's it, it's absolute nonsense. And, and you know, the fact that the media goes along with it is a huge part of the problem. But obviously, 
The Republicans have been allowed. There's been a vacuum created for for these working class uh, uh, sentiments. And the Republicans are pretty good at crafting very deceitful uh, messages that do appeal to those working class people. And the Democrats, I mean, it's it, to, to create that vacuum in the first place, it's political malpractice. And, you, you know, the fact that they now want to turn around and send me text after text begging me, oh, we got to beat the mega Republican. I just I think it's it flatly insulting the way that the Democrats have handled all this. Well, I think. And I'm not going to say who, but I spoke with somebody at the polls this evening who is definitely a supporter of Wasserman Schultz. And what seems to be the the thing that I know that she's telling people, it's pretty clear, is this idea that corporate money doesn't actually influence how you vote. Now, to the lay to, to the lay person, that. maybe that's what they'll they'll just believe it because most people don't really follow it that closely. But the correlation between the money that one receives and how they vote can absolutely be traced. It's not that hard. Yeah. Whether it is something as simple as, I mean, I didn't even get into the whole thing about the fact that Debbie's one of the most notorious inside traders oh, that we terrible. have on Capitol Hill. She's one of the top 50 regarding someone who should be prosecuted and not even in office, but I digress. The idea... <laughs> that you think you can say, well, how can you prove that this mm -hmm. money actually makes you do this? Well, let's see. The American people want a living wage. The American people want universal health care. The American people want a clean energy grid so we don't completely destroy this planet. Uh, we'd like her to stop poisoning the manatees, please. The American people want out of these wars. And if yeah. they think that this thing regarding Ukraine is bad, oh, you wait till Taiwan becomes a big talking point. Oh, good not Lord. So and then finally, we want real criminal justice reform, which means cannabis legalization, expungement of nonviolent drug offender records. And that includes ones who are incarcerated for petty crap. And you mean we won't get that from someone who takes private prison money? We're not getting it from the current infrastructure of oh the Democratic goodness. Party led by people like that. A, a party so, that boasts about increasing police funding. We're not going to get criminal justice reform from them. And you want to know. OK, so right now are the woman running for Senate uh, against Marco Rubio's Val Demings, and she is ex law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And which I don't begrudge people having a prior career like that's all good and fine sure. and everything. Um, but like she's using the shape of a shield as her logo, and she yeah. keeps referring to herself as chief in all of the mailers. So it's almost like she's really leaning into it, almost to where, to me, it feels like to the right of Rubio on law enforcement. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it's not working for us. No. It, it, the the Demo this is one thing the Democrats do. They 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 can never actually take a stand and and oppose the Republicans. Instead, they buy into the framing of Republican messaging and then try to defend themselves. So instead of saying, actually, we think that you cut into crime with housing reform and with mental health services and by providing jobs, instead of taking that path, they go down this like, no, we're more pro cop than you are, I promise. You know, so it, it's it, it's just another indication of the Democrats rolling over and playing doormat instead of actually standing up and fighting. And again, to your guys's point. Perhaps that's misframing. Perhaps it's more just out and out corruption and just out and out. We like being part of this big club and, and we're not going to make arguments that would put us outside of the big club. Oh, well, you get seen... money from law enforcement. You get yeah. money from the military yeah. complex. You get money from manufacturers of said weapons for the police departments. 
why would you not be promoting that? Like that's just yeah. it's counterintuitive. But we've had somebody at a local level. Do you remember a local city commissioner who basically said the same thing? I take money from people, but I don't necessarily vote how they want. And oh, I'm thinking, it, it just, you know what? Can we Florida, just, the appearance of impropriety matters. Yeah, Florida's a different animal, though, because it's very, it's a very transient state. It is a very libertarian state. It also is a state of incredible entrenchment. There is no one more entrenched than our congresswoman. We have been told by people, mm. one person in particular was a campaign manager for a sheriff's race here in the county back in 2020, who made it very clear that Broward is a different animal compared to most places. And so mm -hmm. that, for somebody who works on national campaigns and knows these different states and can zero in on what we have to deal with down here, it is a real problem. And I do believe that that is in, uh, uh, it, listen, it's not this, it's not the majority reason as to why DeSantis is going to win re-election and is ascending to the presidency, but you can't ignore the role that the Florida Democratic Party has played in and allowing him to get there. They just don't play any role. That's yeah. their role. They're the most feckless. It's it's pathetic. Well, we have, well, Michael Bloomberg bought our state party and then put a Republican in charge of the Democratic state party. And who do you think was responsible for brokering that relationship? Yeah. Debbie, Debbie Wasserman. Debbie Wasserman Schultz. So, Wasserman. So, so there is that problem. And so for anyone who's local who is hearing this and seeing it, again, change is inevitable whether you want it to happen or not. And some people, when it comes to change, embrace it and others go kicking and screaming. Either way, yeah. the country is going to change. How do you see the midterms unfolding? How do you see sort of the breakdown, any big races in particular, any surprises maybe? We're having an over-under on DeSantis. I say he's winning by more than 10. Feel free to chime in and, and put money on that one. I mean, boy, I, you guys would know that race a whole hell of a lot better than I do. The, the polling I've seen is that it's close 10. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I would trust your instincts on that. I'm just, um, it'll be interesting. Yeah the, yeah. Last poll, the last poll prior to the debate that they did was DeSantis plus 10. And so okay. since then, uh, it l looks like it's only been to DeSantis's benefits. So the, this and to me, we talk also, to people every day. Yeah, it speaks to an, a greater problem, in particular with Val Demings, because they did not allow for a Senate primary to happen. The second she got into the race, they all coalesced behind her. All of the money went to her. And there were three or four decent candidates yeah. running into the Senate. We had a couple of them on. And, and then the next yeah. thing you know, all their money dried up. They're like, well, I guess I can't run anymore. That's how yeah. it is. And so when they complain about not winning, it's just obvious that they don't they want to control this and hang on to this as long as they possibly it's, can. I, I mean, it's I, to me, I, I think the Democrats would have rather lost with Hillary Clinton in 2016 than one with Bernie. And I think that's kind oh, of the same idea, that. right? No, they prefer yeah. Trump to Bernie. Okay. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. And, and yeah. um, presented a fundraising opportunity, the likes of which the Democratic Party probably hasn't seen forever. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, same idea with with the abortion stuff too, right? It's it's easy yeah. to fundraise and run on that. Um, you guys asked about my general thoughts on the election. I, you know, I, I mean, I I still kind of think it's going to generally be a red wave. I think that these Senate races look a lot closer than 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 maybe they're going to end up being. 
Um, I think when Democrats entirely cede economic messaging to the Republican Party, when the most important things to the general populace are the economy and inflation, I think you're in big trouble. And I also think they've completely failed on messaging on crime. They Again, they buy into the Republican framing on this stuff. Fear-mongering about crime has been winning Republicans' elections for decades. So um, when you let the Republicans say, oh, there's a crime spike, which, by the way, very disingenuous claim, but we'll set that aside. If you allow them to to run the, the, the law and order stuff, Stuff, and you don't fight back by saying, actually, you know, throwing people in a cage doesn't cut into crime. We have we have by far the highest uh, incarceration rates per capita in the world. And we have among the highest recidivism rates that right. should just completely it, it's there's no sense to like, let's put people in cages for longer amounts of time. And that should solve the problem. So the Democrats refuse to engage in that messaging. Instead, they try to grovel towards the Republican messaging and say, we'll give more money to cops and we'll do the law and order stuff. I think the combination of that with the with the economy, I don't see that playing well for Democrats in blue states now. or I mean, in uh, in swing states, the one like the abortion thing is the only thing that I think is going to make this closer than it otherwise would have been months ago. That's um, and if you yeah, come and, to 10 points, that's why. Yeah, that I, I that's that's exactly that's my take too, and I I think like a, a big mistake. I don't know if you guys saw this a month or six weeks ago or something. Lindsey Graham came out and proposed a, a bill that would that would be a nationwide abortion ban. I think that was a tremendous mistake for the Republicans, just in the sense that now now even in a state like California or whatever, Democrats can run on that now, right? <laughs> the Republicans want to ban it nationally. Your abortion rights aren't safe either. Listen, I don't have any kids, not that I'm aware of, um, because I've never been with a woman before. But we've, I've asked if you feel, uh, do you think, I, is he more Porky Pig or Elmer Fudd? I, they said Porky Pig. I'm definitely, I like my bacon. I live in South Carolina. and I'm, I will say this, Keith, he is decent on civil liberties. How's that for you? Yes, but I'm wonderfully terrible on war. Not it's you, I'm war. talking about. He's talking about DeSantis in the oh, chat. DeSantis. And I will say he has been decent on civil liberties. I don't like DeSantis. I wanted to be president, but Ugh. you can remember when I ran for president. You are one bathroom stall away from such a scandal. That's you know, all I've know. never been to that stall in Minneapolis, so don't even attempt to blame me for something Whatever. that never happened. <laughs> Whatever. I need a Lindsey Graham mask. As well. Oh, that, you, you, yeah. that would be good. But he is kind of like Porky Pig. Mallory, See, so I couldn't tell if that was Lindsey Graham or Bill Clinton. It kind of sounds the same oh, no. to me. No, his Bill Clinton's really good. You can <laughs> Wait, he'll do Bill. Bill is good. That's one of his best ones. Where's your Bill? There he is. All right. Oh, we got a full-on costume, too? Uh, Bill's one of his regulars, but he does a oh, really Oh, boy. Good Around this time when the election season is happening, I always try to come out and remind people that if you think you're voting for a progressive whatever... Uh, you're not voting for anything other than the corporate Democratic Party. Remember that. And if you uh, think that voting against us is a smart move, well, believe me, it isn't, because then you get the GOP. So you get arc-incited. Don't mess with the Clintons. You get arc-incited. I have no idea what you're talking about. Are the bodies on Epstein's island? No. Uh, who? Yeah, your friend Epstein. The island. Who? Yeah. I've never been there. I've not spent one day on that island. I've never spent one day on that island. Yeah. And nor have I been on that island. You're right. You've just spent nights on that island. I'm sure. Uh, well, that's another story. Uh, but only Bill would Bill would be so good at also saying that. Like, that would make sense to him. He, the word is, is. Like, it would be really, yeah, I've never spent a day on that island. Look, he hasn't. He's probably only been there at night. I think that, like, that is so right on. Or he spent a week, but he didn't spend a day. Exactly. <laughs> You're trying to get me to say what the definition of is, is, and I'm not about to do that on the show. <laughs> but, you know, Hillary is uh, 
Uh, kind of causing a lot of problems these days and doesn't seem to understand that the country just doesn't really care about what she has to say anymore. But uh, she'll keep trying until eventually someone listens. And uh, if she has to do it uh, uh, by force, (laughs) we'll just leave it at that. And I guess that's just how it's going to have to be done. Uh, You should both be in prison. There's a thing called triangulation of politics and we kind of created it. And the beautiful (laughs) thing about it is we screwed Bernie. We got rich in the process. And uh, I got to be president, but Hillary didn't. So <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a wonderful you time. You go. I can't go. I've got nowhere else to be. I'll see you later. <laughs> okay, that was really good. I got to hand it to you. That was really good. If I really pray, like, if I practiced my Obama, I would get it done after a few tries. And the same with Lindsey Graham. See, I have to practice. The, if I practice talking like them, I can... There's certain ones where I can I can get the pitch down, He's and then really it's good. just like I really just gotta get it down. <laughs> but, but believe me when I tell you, if you think we're not coming back in 24, <laughs> we're totally making America great again. Again. And this campaign, I have the off. best people. <laughs> best. I am totally the <laughs> person in the room. <laughs> Do you see what you're making happen now? This is exactly. Oh my God. The show and believe me when I tell you, look, you're a really terrible person because you try to convince people that they're entitled to anything in this world. The only thing they're entitled to <laughs> is supporting me, the Donald, the Trump, the greatest of them all. And we are making America great again. Again. Because they totally took the election away from me. They're really terrible people in this world. And when we get back in, we're totally going to take them out. What that means, I'm not going to say, but believe me when I tell you, they're going to pay. The ultimate price. <laughs> that that is right up there among the best Trump imperson- impersonations I've seen, and I'm definitely going to have to cut part of that to use for my show. I'm talking to the real Donald. I drove down here from Mar-a-Lago. It was a long time. Did you did you do here. the voice for uh, Mike Figueroa? I totally don't know who you're talking about. He is a total loser. <laughs> Mike girly fettuccine, really terrible person. <laughs> He says that I'm a criminal. He says that I don't like gay people. I love the gays. They're tremendous people. They move into the neighborhood. They make it all beautiful, really spectacular. I'm sure where you are in Seattle, they do a great job there. They do a great job down here in Palm Beach as well. Really great people. Love those people. You like it more like they can afford to live in Palm Beach. I only want people with a million dollars to the neighborhood. You don't care if they're gay or black or anything, as long as they can afford to live in I only see one color and green. it's green. green. Lots of green. Beautiful color. <laughs> Although you would never catch me wearing a green suit. It's too ugly. Only good on paper money. Not Gotta money. go. I'll see you later. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. So This yeah. is my life. And the, truth is, <laughs> and the truth is they're one and the same. There really is no difference. No. There's a lot of people who want to believe that there is a difference between Trump and, and Bill, but there really isn't. They're very well, they all stomach. just towed the same corporate line. Like right. once you're going in line with the oligarchy, you're going in line with the oligarchy, which means the money yeah. is going to continue to funnel up and the poor people are going to continue to get like washed away. And it really yeah. doesn't matter which one of their little red or blue parties is sitting there for their little fake, fake political circus. Like that's how one of my one of my very favorite quotes is Ralph Nader. He says the only difference between the Republican and Democratic parties is the velocities with which their knees hit the floor when corporations come knocking. Yeah. <laughs> And, it's true. Yeah. It's true. And nowadays, you really can't tell the difference. I voted for Ralph really Nader. Yep. Yeah. And 
you know, we do need better options. I think that that is a huge part of this process. And I think there's going to be a lot of lessons to be learned, however, which way these elections unfold. Uh, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be good for the Democrats at all. Um, I thought that the best candidate by far that the <laughs> Democrats had going in this election is, um, you know, Fetterman. I, I thought Fetterman was, um, I, I don't even get that. Because you know it's Fantasy Island, the plane, the plane. So he's Giuliani is the one standing on the island being his little second in command, going the plane. Yeah, shout out to Mark for that comment. That's hysterical. <laughs> I have no he's younger than you. Double K, God, I love you. Great oh, so nice. Double K is fantastic. Yeah, Luke, you're you're really young, right? Like I remember thinking, God, this guy's really young. I'm 28, so I don't yeah, know if that's really yeah. young. It's starting to feel not young anymore, but yeah. I, <laughs> Dude, I'm 39, so. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. No, I'm very fortunate, but then again, would you guess I'm so old. 51? Oh, bullshit. I'm 51. Oh, my God. Okay, maybe I am young then. You're really young. <laughs> to you me, can, it's if I'm old enough to be someone's parent – then it's all sort of the same. Now young. All sort of start to look the same, especially girls, no offense. Like when I meet all my friends, daughters, friends and all that, they all look the same. And the older I get, the harder it is to differentiate age. So like if, if whether or not somebody's 18, 25, 35, I, I, the older I get, that range gets bigger and bigger. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's what happens. I think we really have to start figuring out some type of a coalition of sorts, because one of the biggest problems that we have seen, particularly in left politics, is everyone has a big ego and, you know, trying to get people to coalesce is not easy. In yeah. fact, it's downright impossible in many ways. And so how would you see building this coalition? Because again, we're very close with Steve Grumbine. What, you know, I think the whole, anything that's, anything that's an, a, a, anything that's economic related, like modern monetary theory to really understand it. It was interesting talking to my father last night about, about uh, MMT. I my, can't even imagine. My father is, um, well. he's very successful. He's an, he's an estate planner. But when I try to talk to him about what real economics is, he just, this is somebody who watches Fox Business and CNBC and believes that that's where all the information that you need comes from. No, that's 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 called misinformation. And it's very intentional. It is. But again, if the stock market's working for you, as it does for people at that level and his clients, then, of course, yeah. the idea is to feign ignorance or knowledge dismiss it as anything other than, yeah, I get it, but it doesn't matter because the game's working for me. It may not be working yeah. for you and everybody else, but if it's working for me, I ain't changing. Sorry. I, I, I think it's also to address people's guilt, right? You don't have to feel bad about your wealth and other struggle if you think, well, that's just some sort of organic way that it is. It's not really my fault. You know, I, I think it's also to think we're a meritocracy. They actually. Yeah, exactly. This is a meritocracy. We're bordering. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're border. We are an oligarchy bordering on a theocracy like that's yeah. bad yeah, yeah really good bad. people and as you like to say jen you can't build the moats wide enough because as much as people think they can just run and hide and maybe you know off the puget sound some of them can but most can't and sort of that reckoning of sorts economically speaking i do believe is coming 
The question is, how do we build this coalition? How, how would so, you see that happening? I, I certainly think, and I know this is kind of a, an answer you hear a lot on on the left, but I, I think it has to be around working class issues. And you know, if 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 you can coalesce around some of the issues that I mentioned earlier, Medicare for all, tuition free college, raising the minimum wage, housing reform, criminal justice reform, federal job guarantee, which we talk a lot about with MMT. Those are issues that would substantially improve the lives of poor and working class Americans. And if you can center your message around those. Now, again, I don't want to demean or diminish the importance of the social issues, but those are the ones where the demagoguery happens. That's where we're divided on is those social issues. And that's, again, very, very coordinated and very intentional. Um, and so I, I think any any coalition that we can can form to start to change things for the better, it has to center around the economics. We um, always say that. The core is labor. Great. The core yeah. is labor. And we're seeing it all over the country. We are seeing it. It doesn't get the coverage it should get because we know why. Um, yeah. but, we are, but we are seeing it. And I do think that that's the key thing because right now we don't have a labor party. And the more that people, and yeah, we do fight within the party because in Florida and Broward, we don't have a choice. That's the menu. It is what it is. So, our goal is to keep pointing out that they're not a labor party. And if they want to win, they need to be a labor party. And that's really yeah. kind of where I feel like we're, what we're doing. Is yeah. And I, and I do think um, in terms of the, if, if you want to look at one specific area where Bernie absolutely would have been better, if not great is on labor. That's yeah. where his greatest impact as president yeah. would have been felt because he would have saw to it, that the current massive strike, ladies and gentlemen, which may actually happen right before Thanksgiving. So get ready for that if you have any intention of getting, you know, holiday gifts and stuff. Uh, there's going to be a railroad strike in this country. It's going to happen. And yep. if Bernie was president, I think he would have sought to it to make sure that the proper negotiation took place. Because Biden is such a borderline failure. And he is. Oh, he's the fact that he claimed that what he did with the railroad strike was settle the issue. No, he didn't settle it. In fact, he made it worse because he pissed off the railroad workers. If there yeah. was even a halfway decent offer, they might have taken it and come back again a couple of years later. But instead, he fully decided to go along with the corporate oligarchs. And now they're going to ensure that he's a one term president which I yeah. thought was going to happen anyway, but now they're going to seal it when yeah, they, that, that when they come. Gonna from, yeah, when, they're going to seal it now it, when they strike. And we really need to, like you said, it has to be an economic populist uprising yeah. from the left. From the left. Yes. It can't be from the right. Yeah. And, and, you know, like the other thing is, I, I think the media is also very important in this because we see this around the world. It's not just in the United States. When you have a strike like that, like, like, listen, I, I stand fully in solidarity with the Starbucks workers, the Amazon workers, the coal workers, et cetera. Right. But when you hit the supply chain, the way that the railroad strike is going to, the media is going to demonize you like we have not seen before. We saw oh, yeah. this happen in the UK just very recently. The media is going to come out in full force, blaming the workers for, oh, your goods aren't here on time. Oh, there's further inflation from supply side issues. Like they're going to demonize the workers for those issues when very obviously, as you guys just pointed out, it's the Warren Buffett's of the world, and it's it's Joe Biden siding with the Warren Buffett's of the world that is the cause of that 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 issue. And and, and the other thing is this this one has really stunned me because 
it, this isn't just your run of the mill. You, you don't pay us nearly enough. And you know what I mean? Our benefits packages is shit. This is like, we can't take a single sick day without risking getting fired or penalized. I mean, this is so beyond absurd. And I I've made this point on my show a few times, but this should be like, people should consider this like airline pilots. Do you want your airline pilot exhausted and working multiple days in a row, long shifts? And there are, the, trains are dangerous. Like we see, we see the derailings and things happen all the time that kill people. Do you really want someone running down the rails with a bunch of fossil fuels on board, derailing and blowing up your neighborhood? I mean, like we're not treating this like the safety issue that it is. It's dehumanizing to the rail workers to, to say that this was some sort of, of compromise or deal I, I, in every single way, this has been absolutely astounding. And I can guarantee you the media is going to come down on exactly the wrong side of this. And that's something that, that independent media folks have to be ready for too, because we're going to have to combat that. Yeah. Well, uh, overall, they just basically don't cover it. Like they don't talk yeah. about it and they certainly don't cover it from the worker perspective. They yeah. might cover it from what's going on with the Biden administration, like the political side of it. They'll show like, but they'll always make them seem like they're getting somewhere when they're not. And they don't yeah. cover the underlying issue. And people don't realize that then they will do that. But it isn't about money. I mean, I'm sure there's money issues too, but this is about their working conditions and they're yes. really abhorrent. We had Max Alvarez on um and, uh, Max with, is wonderful. Yeah, Max is awesome. He actually has a new book out, just so everyone knows. Yeah. And, um, and I just got it in the mail, and I'm, and I'm going to read that. But anyway, um, so he was on with, what was her name? I forget, the other journalist. Uh, Mel Buer. Mel Buer. Yeah. yeah. And they were talking about this, and people don't understand that this is going to happen. And when they talk about, oh, he's coming to an agreement with the union, no, he might be coming to an agreement with a railroad union. People don't understand. This is a lot more than one union. There's like 12. Yeah. Yep. So I, I and, and a I, number of them have already yeah. voted against this agreement. So this this is going to happen. The, the only question is to what extent and how many of those unions reject this deal. Well, no, I just know how, how can we support them? That's what we need to figure out. Like, how can we support that effort? Because they should go out. They should. And yeah. maybe, you know, they're look, they may be more keen See, about this. Oh, OK. I got I got to cut you off quickly and shout out Eric Kessner for those absolutely fantastic vests. Eric's out here in Washington State and he does a lot of great activism and organizing. Shout out to Eric if you happen to see this. Those yeah. vests are fantastic. Anyway, I had I, I was feeling inspired. We're talking about if the railroad workers go out and other people follow suit. I would also like to point out if Bernie were president, I think Amazon would have been able to organize in Bessemer and in Albany. I think that a lot of these things oh, I agree. Would a lot smoother. And this, again, lends to another big problem. And one of the reasons why Biden is a failure and as much as people don't recognize it, he is allowing the union busting and it's going on everywhere. They're doing yeah. everything yeah, to bad. stop this. In fact, Friend of the show, personal friend, Jordan Cheriton of Status Coup was up in Albany covering more union busting that Bezos was having Amazon due to their workers who were attempting to unionize up there as well. This yeah. is a colossal problem happening everywhere. Uh, I just think that Howard Schultz doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And that's why Starbucks is actually. Oh. Well, and they're unionized. smaller. Look, that's your apples and, and oranges. Yeah, no. It's it's different. And they're it's also more. their shops are smaller. It's it's a lot yeah. easier to coordinate 30 people than but, it is. But the other thing is, 
I mean, Starbucks, like they've been very successful in terms of voting for these these unions. But Starbucks is still they're they're refusing to negotiate. Yeah. They are firing workers illegally. They are closing down stores out of retaliation. And there has not been nearly enough pushback from the NLRB on this. I give the NLRB credit for filing the complaints to start with. It, it This this is one area where I guess I, I forget her name, but some Bernie advisor was actually put on, uh, you know, in the Labor Department. And that apparently has caused some of these complaints to come through in, in, in ways that they would wouldn't have in previous administrations, but um, those complaints still do have to go through the court. I've had a handful of uh, Starbucks workers on my show. A couple of them were illegally fired and they are still waiting for for, for court dates uh, here coming up in December to try to get their job back and get back pay. So Starbucks is very much pushing back despite the fact that the votes themselves have been successful. That's only the first part of the process, right? Then then there's the negotiation part and, and there's all the union busting tactics that come after the vote actually takes place. So this, I, I totally agree if Bernie were in office like this, I got, I, I have complaints about Bernie where I think he's been a little too weak or I don't, you know, the, yeah. I, I can complain about Bernie in certain ways. This is one where I, I really do think if he were in office, we would have seen a very different result for Starbucks workers, Amazon workers, the striking yeah. coal workers that have been on strike for months already. Like the, the, the railroad negotiations would have gone very differently. I, I do think that would have been, you know, a much better situation yeah. uh, under a Bernie presidency. Yeah, I think, well, he'd speak up. He'd go to bat for them. Yeah. He'd make a stand. He'd make it be newsworthy. He'd make people. That's the biggest problem is people don't know this is going on. So they don't going to get support when you don't even know what's going on. OK, so now you're now you have to have it. Look, if I oh, were no. president of the United States, I would have made a more collective effort to make sure that labor was being treated fairly. These corporate oligarchs that have been destroying this country for far too long they have been getting away with murder. And we can't allow that chip to see uh, Luke, you're doing a wonderful job. Keep doing what you do on your show. Lord knows that the state of Washington, which has been good to me politically, but unfortunately, there's a lot of those wonderful super delegates up there that didn't agree. What we really need to do is make sure that we are uniting behind an economic populist labor effort here in the United States. So if the railroad workers want to strike, then let them strike. Let them get the benefits. They deserve. So keep doing what you're doing. Really appreciate you. Jen, nice to see you. You got the cadence down, man. Like that's that is impressive. Well, I'm from. I was born in Brooklyn, and raised in New Jersey, so I right. He's not uh, that far off. I know how to. Uh, I know. How to, I know how to. Know. Those are his people. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie again, as as Jen, as you like to say, you know, he brought us. He brought us to this point. Yes. But now it's on us to take the reins. But and I, and I always, I can't stand say. when people pick on Bernie because it's like, what have you done lately? You know, it's like he's, he is the reason we're talking about single payer health care. He's the reason that we are where we are in any capacity as even having a left. And that's a huge deal. So to blame him because he didn't go far enough. It's so like ungrateful. I find it very ungrateful. Now, we could criticize him as a legislator because he is a representative yeah. in that capacity. And maybe you agree with this or don't agree with that. But this sort of like thing from the left, like somehow he didn't do enough for you. I find that very entitled. Well, I actually I think that applies more than just to Bernie. I, yeah. I, I see this on the left a lot where people do this like I'm going to put person in good camp or bad camp and then yeah. I'm going to judge them going forward based upon that. I just don't think that's like a sensible or realistic way to judge people in general, <laughs> let alone legislatures or uh, legislators. You know, it's 
We, yeah. You, you kind of have to go on a case by case basis. No one is ever going to live up to every little thing that you want to do. If Bernie were president, there'd be a lot of leftists that were grossly disappointed with him. That he's, he has to operate within a system, right? Yeah. So I'm all for, I, I will criticize Bernie on my show when I don't think he makes the right call or when I think he votes incorrectly, but to, to, to like demonize the guy or to throw him into bad silo. I, I just think it's kind of, kind of petulant and, you know, I, I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it furthers our movement. Um, I, you know, it's the same with the squad. I really try to be nuanced about my analysis of the squad. When I'm disappointed, I, I express my disappointment. When I think that they're taking a stand in a, in, a, in a good way, I try to express that too. Unfortunately, there have been less of those than I would like. Um, yeah. But, you know, like I, I think the idea that we're like, it, that we're just going to judge people in these good and bad ways and create these sort of black and white ways in which we view um, politicians and issues, I, I don't think it's realistic. I don't think it's helpful. Um, and I kind of wish there was there was more room for nuance on the left about these things. And the idea yeah. that you have allowed yourself to be completely outlefted by somebody as libertarian right, who is probably the most honest representative we have on Capitol Hill, which is Thomas Massey of Kentucky. You know, when you're thinking of war uh, and just the war machine, Massey stands up to the war machine like nobody's business. And yet, for some reason, when it comes to the issue of Ukraine and whether or not we need to reassess what's going on over there and recognize yeah. that this is our generation, this it's unbelievable that it's been 20 years in a matter of months since Iraq. Iraq. And yet we're here again. This is it again. Yeah. It's going to happen again. And they're all looking at it like, no, we have to stay until we win. And they're all getting in line. And I'm thinking, man, how many times can you talk about the military industrial complex and then when push comes to shove, you don't fight back. But now the issue is really going to be now we're really going to see how smart the American people are starting to get when it comes to politics, because the second the GOP takes over and they're taking over at least the House, possibly the Senate, you know that the beer muscles are going to get big for members of, let's say, the squad and people like that. And they're going to hit back and they're going to start saying things that they never would have said when they were in power. And people should recognize that. No, you yes. have a chance. It's very fundraising yeah. opportunity. Very much so. That's that's the beauty of it for them. Well, it's, I mean, just look at just look at how the, the, the look at Washington and the media's response to this letter that the Congressional Caucus oh. put out there and then immediately revoked. Right. Oh. Like it's I mean, th listen, that letter praised Joe Biden's handling of this conflict. That letter said they supported the aid to Ukraine. They went as far as they could to like, we're not this is a lukewarm take. This is not supposed to. This is innocuous. And then all that they said was we urge diplomacy. Just that. No, just urging diplomacy brought out like the, the visceral response from people. I mean, I was pretty floored. Even people who call themselves anti-war, call themselves progressive or leftist were like coming at me on Twitter and coming at other people on Twitter who dared to talk about this. I just the very simple suggestion that we should do diplomacy. I mean, my God. Right. It was pathetic. It was pathetic. Yeah. I saw all this going down. I'm, I'm like, OK, well, I got to read the letter. You know, like first I see, OK, they're putting out a letter. Then I see I didn't even have a chance to read the letter until they retracted the letter because that happened like the next day or yeah. whatever. So I read the letter expecting it to be something sort of incendiary. And it is the most pitiful. You can almost imagine Pramila Jaipal. Could we please just I want you to we'll give you the money, but just. Maybe just try. How know. dare you? Yeah, yeah. And they caved on it, like immediately. Uh, and even yeah. worse, they blamed staff. I mean, uh, it was like the most. I, I was, I was. It was so terrible. 
Uh, and by the way, Pramila Jayapal for that. Shame on Pramila. I do want to give credit to Ro Khanna, who came out and opposed that messaging and said, no, this this was the caucus. This was not. But but like for them to try to throw their staff under the bus for for such a like if you can't stand up for that message, you have no right to call yourself the progressive caucus. I'm sorry. Deal with Pramila Jayapal a year ago saying that Joe Biden has an A plus as president. And if she. she is she your congresswoman? Does she come? I know that she she is Seattle. So I unfortunately have Rick Larson, who's one of the uh, most conservative right wing Democrats. Uh, yeah, Jason Call. Uh, I have uh, Jason's wonderful. He's been on the show a couple of times. Yeah, I uh, I very much wish I had Jason as my representative instead of uh, Rick Larson. But yeah, Pramila's Pramila's Seattle. But you know what? Does it matter? Because if you're going to retract a letter like that, seriously, that what's the point? Like. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, if you're the progressive caucus, the stand you needed to be taking was on the money and actually was on the ridiculous military budget in the first place. But they never said anything about that. And you get people like Alex voting present on the Israel Dome issue. It's like they're not taking a stand for anything anti-war. You're not a progressive. You're not. Uh, a yeah, progressive. I, if, I if, agree. If Mike Lee and Rand Paul are to your left. If Tulsi freaking Gabbard is to your left. Uh, you got a problem. You got a yeah. problem. And when people say, you know, listen, I am not the biggest fan in any way, shape or form of Brianna Joy Gray. Uh, but I will say this. See, I, I love Brie. I'll, I'll sit here and defend Brie, but make your point. Uh, she let Joe Castroni have it uh, the other day. Oh, she did. It was wonderful. And this is a guy who apparently was an advisor to Bernie. And coming on her show and trying to say, how dare you call the Democratic Party the party of warmongers? And I'm, <laughs> what are we, what are we, we count the ways. Hey, what are we looking yeah. at here? Let's I mean, even Brie was like stunned by that. She's like, wait, that's not even like up for debate. Like, what are you talking about? Um, I can show you that our congresswoman gets a lot of money from Raytheon and Northrop Grumman and a bunch of places. So I, I, I would say that, although we're still going with a theory that just because you take their money doesn't mean you do what they say. We've had some. Yeah, yeah, right, right. The, the Hillary Clinton. Well, they offered it to me. So and what's, and what's really interesting <laughs> is we've got a lot of um, we've got a very unique mix of people who will follow our show. You yeah. Know, the almost 8,000 subscribers, it really is a sort of mix. It's because I've been on everything from Tim Pool to Vosh. Yeah. Oh, well, I see. Okay. So when you have somebody like, let's say, Jason Rodriguez, who's a conservative, but the one thing that I've learned is that overwhelmingly, and he may not even want to be called a conservative, most of it, as I, uh, as I see it, is it's progressives and libertarians. And almost overwhelmingly, That's when it comes to foreign policy and civil liberties, Yep. There is an immense amount yeah. of agreement. And that, to me, is the danger of the establishment more than anything else, because they know that the average person knows that all wars are BS and that the money that is spent is meant to perpetuate an industry, not a cause. It never yeah. has been and it never will be. There's too much money to be had. That's the whole thing. That's why hoodwinking people into thinking they know anything about what's going on in Ukraine, even though... As I've tried to point out since the very beginning of this back in the spring, when you have trillions and trillions of dollars in resources in Western Ukraine, someone's getting their hands on it one way or the other. Whether it is yep. lithium, whether it is iron, who the hell knows? But 
Someone's getting it. And here's the thing. I don't care whether the oligarchs speak Russian or English. That's the thing. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this was, listen, I don't profess myself to be some sort of foreign policy expert, right? <laughs> but but like the, the, my understanding is that a lot of this goes back to Ukraine in too. 2014, um, deciding they would take a loan from Russia instead of from the IMF. And that was a threat to the West. So a lot of this stems back to the economic dominance that the West has, the hegemony of the West over over the world's economic systems. And the, the fact that that part is like entirely left out of the discussion and we're just supposed to be like, well, Putin bad. OK, is that really the extent of your analysis? You know, um, it, it just really bothers me. And it actually reminds me, I know that the situation is very different, but. You guys remember during the Iraq war, if you dared to say, I oppose the invasion or I think we should get out of Iraq, there would be these robots that would just say, oh, so you're pro Saddam. And it's like, no, you know what I mean? Thinking we shouldn't be the world police does not mean I am pro any given world leader. Well, Newsflash, most world that. leaders I suck. They I, had suck. The, I had the privilege yeah. of speaking with one of the gutsiest people in professional sports at the time, and that was Steve Nash. And if you, I don't, you're, you are a little young. I have no you idea. Not, oh, I know Steve Nash. I grew up watching Steve Nash. No, I was a huge no, basketball no, 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 fan. I may not remember this. I have no so idea. So this was during the this was in the spring of two thousand and three. I don't even know what sport. And this was basketball. Okay, well, so, it would be nice if you would say that. I don't even know what sport game you're talking so about. So anyway, he uh, there was a game in Sacramento, and it was on national TV, and he showed up with the Canadian flag, and he specifically said. Going to war in Iraq is absolute bullshit. And if you think it's worth doing, you're a dupe. And they were booing the hell out of him during that game. Yep. But Steve Nash hit the game time three pointer with like two seconds left. And then Dallas ended up winning in overtime. And I it just all thought comes it, down to sports for you. It really, but it was very symbolic in a lot of ways because he was the center of attention at that moment and being the hero that day for his team. And then Credit to Mark Cuban, because Mark is, listen, there's not, you Mark, can't really say there's any chat. good billionaires out there, but Mark's probably the closest. Mark, we need to chat. And so the fact that he allowed Steve that platform to say what he needed to say, I thought really said a lot. We don't really have that right now. You know, there no. isn't that Phil Donahue that's saying he going got fired. Rock is a bad idea. No, because he, he got, got fired. He got. Hedges got let go from MSNBC. Jank Uger, as much as many problems as I have with TYT, he was let go from MSNBC. They, they just went on a firing spree of anybody who dared to question the Iraq narrative. The best throwback progressive of the modern era. And unfortunately, may he rest in peace. Ed, Ed Schultz. Schultz. Oh, Ed Sh Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, I, you know what? I watched Ed's election coverage in 2016. I was like, I'm not watching cable news. I'll go watch Ed Schultz. I, did too. Oh. I spoke with him on the phone. I actually used to listen to him on Air America Radio. This was a long, oh, yeah, yeah. long time ago. This was when Rachel Maddow was on there and was remotely normal. And I, I called into the show and I actually got through. And I can't even for the life of me remember what we were talking about at the time, but it was really cool. I, I actually got to call in and talk to him on his radio show. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah was Ed, cool. Ed was one of the good ones. That's absolutely. And yeah. his story, you know, talking about, uh, you know, uh, I forget the president of MSNBC at the time, but said, you're not covering the announcement no. of Bernie Sanders running for president. And they knew even then they knew that this guy who no one knew, but they they knew that if this guy's message gets out, this is not going to be good. And for we can't us. have that. This ain't good for business. And, yeah. you know, they're trying desperately to silence 
dissent. Well, they can. Uh, well, That's I'm going to keep do. saying it. Unfortunately, we're small, but I'm against oh this war. I'm against the last war. I'm against the next war. I actually yeah. feel like I'm living in Groundhog Day. So when it was weapons of mass destruction, I remember then knowing that that was bullshit. I remember calling it out as bullshit then and knowing that. And I have people that have this on record. They know people, everyone says that, but no, really, I have it. And it's like, are we really doing this again? We are. We're actually doing this again. And when I see these yeah. liberals with the Ukrainian flags, it makes me insane. It's if like, how, really how rubes are you? If you really care about the Ukrainian people and you want to Ugh. see them survive, Get Russia and America to the negotiating table right now. Thank you. And, and by the way, if 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 you keep escalating towards nuclear conflict, potential nuclear conflict, uh -huh. who do you think is going to be the first to suffer that? So if you really care about the Ukrainian people, exactly. you really should care more than anybody about putting an end to this. And and I don't care what you think of Putin, what you think of the U.S., what you think of Zelensky. If you're an, if you're analyzing foreign policy based on what you think of any given actor, you're doing it wrong. That's not sensible. It's not realistic. Yeah. Most world actors are horrible. So yeah. if we're going to have a realistic, serious discussion about foreign policy, you have to just take that part off the table and say, how do we get to the best possible conclusion that harms as few people as possible? That and is diplomacy. And let's be honest. We this is talk? Hillary Clinton and her never being able to accept that she lost and blaming Putin and the saber rattling that has been going yeah. on for the past six years definitely plays a role in the psyche of that comfortable suburban liberal who lives and dies with the Hillary Clintons and the Kamala Harris's and the Amy Klobuchar's oh. of the world. Yeah. Where they see the world from a privileged lens that they are in complete denial that they are yeah. living the world through. The, the McCarthyism is insane. I, you guys keep saying I'm young, but I am old enough to remember Barack Obama on the debate stage telling Mitt Romney to take the 80s foreign policy back when he started fear mongering about Russia. So in a matter of how many years? Four the Democrats went from you're talking about Russia way too much, you crazy Republicans, to, oh, my God, Russia cost us the election. It, there is no doubt that brought back the McCarthyism. Yeah. Well, we have to have an enemy. We have to have an enemy. And it's I don't know if it's because I, I feel like as a mother, I think like this. But to me, when I think of all this, all I'm thinking about are like Ukrainian mothers just trying to get their kids to and from school in one piece. Yeah. Right. Like this idea of just. And so. If you want to help them, we could probably be sending them a lot of aid and resources and stuff that could help the actual people in Ukraine. And I might even be somewhat supportive of that idea. But everything else, it's not about them. Like nobody cares about the Ukrainian no. people. And this is, you know, this this is where where the, the interview between Brianna and Joy, Joe went off the rails, because Brianna basically said, can you can you provide a compelling argument that this is about anything other than geopolitics? Because why, why aren't we helping Haiti? Why aren't we helping, you know, yeah. anywhere that's a victim of of, of uh, the, the catastrophic climate change stuff? Why aren't we helping the people in Yemen or the people in Palestine or the people in Somalia or the people in Iraq or Syria? Or, you know, we can just keep on going. Yeah. Why aren't we helping those people? And the answer is because it's not actually about humanitarian aid. We are not suddenly this altruistic, compassionate country. We are a country that has committed as many war crimes or more than any other in the last half century. Like the, the idea that we're doing this about anything other than geopolitical expediency is to me completely laughable. And that is a relevant point, whether you think it's the right or the wrong thing to do. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely.
absolutely. Well, look, wars for profit. We know this. That like, yeah. we don't, I don't even call it, like, we don't have it. It shouldn't even be the Department of Defense. It's the Department of Offense. We haven't needed to have that since we were, like, attacked at Pearl Harbor, I think, well, like, was the last time that we had any sort I mean, you know, I know they'd like to claim 9-11 was that kind of thing, and they wanted to tie it into geopolitical stuff and go invade Iraq. I know. I know that you there's people who still think that, but like yeah. last time, I really think, wasn't it Pearl Harbor? Basically that was the last attack other than nine 11 on us soil. Yeah. 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 So why, why are we there people? Why are we there? Lots of money to be made yes. and a lots of rubes to be fooled. I'm against it. And that's the, and, and that will be, and, and I think we can conclude on this point because this is going to be, I don't know if it's going to be a bloodbath election, uh, but it ain't going to be pretty. I feel terrible for John Fetterman. I still think there's a reasonable chance he's going to win. Uh, but if he loses, it's going to be a nightmare. And that's the only hope I have actually is that race. Yeah. I think, I think he's going to lose. I'm sorry to be Mr. Uh, bearer no, of bad news. Okay. I think it's he's going to lose. If it's, it says very poorly about people in Pennsylvania. We'll most tonight. likely come on. We'll mostly go live uh, around nine o'clock on uh, Tuesday. And if we get on and Fetterman has lost, it's going to be a long night. And I think people need to recognize that a lot of that has to do with Biden. It just does. And then the Wizard of yeah. Oz is going and to freaking that idiot. He's so, and God, then also he's so have cringy. To, but what won't be talked about enough, even though inflation, the economy, crime, there are these hot button issues. And one last point I do want to make. One of the biggest reasons that no one talks about the immigrant, the, the migrant crisis that we have, and we do have one. The reason it's happening is because labor is waking up in this country and they don't want to take slave wage anymore. So yes. what does the Biden administration do? Instead of doing what is in the interest of labor, it's we're not going to pay you nothing. We're going to just open up the floodgates at the southern border and bring in people who will work for slave wage. We will and replace you. It's, it's no different than scabs during union fights. We will replace right. you. That is exactly what's happening. And because this union busting is so rampant and Corporate media will not talk about it because they have to protect their golden goose and Joe Biden. This is the failure of his administration and of his presidency. I it is always economics and I will always continue to speak the truth about this particular issue because it is the issue that makes the world go round. If we don't have a middle class, we don't have a democracy and it's basically dead. And at some point, people are going to have to wake up to that reality. But I do think that there is also a portion of the electorate that is going to vote for the GOP because of how the Democrats have handled Ukraine. I do think that there is that vote that's there that's going to make them pay for that. And the stunt that alone. No, I think that that's Uh. one element of it. But I think that the stunt that they just pulled with the letter and Uh. then retracted and then they make the statements that they made, including Bernie, say, well, you know, Putin's a terrible guy. It's like, no, no, this has got to stop. It's, there's an old saying in politics, it's better to be wrong than weak. Look how the progressives look right now. Um, weak so, and wrong. Yeah. They're yeah, exactly. It's a double whammy. Yeah. Um, no, I, I totally agree. And just on your economic point, a quick, quick shameless plug here, realprogressives.org to anyone who wants to learn more about MMT. Uh, this is why MMT is so important, because all of these policy discussions surround economics to some degree or another. 
Anytime you hear someone ask, how are you going to pay for it? Uh, that's a question that MMT can help you understand and break down. So realprogressives.org, if you want to learn more about that, uh, follow us at Real Progress US and at RP underscore in underscore action uh, for, for more from, from uh, Real, Real Progressives about the economic side of things. Real Progressives US? Yeah, at Real Progress US. Real yeah, and guys, also, we do have several MMT shows in our library as well that we've done where we've had either Steve on or Fadul. Like, we've had people on that have come on and, and chatted and explained it because I can't explain it. <laughs> I don't completely understand it. I don't claim to. There is a difference between micro and macroeconomics. I know, and I there took both those classes. There is a difference between state and local economics just as there is federal. And so... Yes. Learning and understanding I that just, significant difference is I, a big problem. I cannot dedicate brain cells to hey, understanding to my, it any better than I already According do. to my father, we have $30 trillion in debt, so there's that. <laughs> debt to who is what I would ask your father? Is, yeah, to, to <laughs> the Federal Reserve. China. 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 Yeah. It's all about China. Yeah. So well, what, one more, if I can, before we go, if, yeah. if please, people go, go look into where these ranked choice voting elections are happening. Uh, we, you, for sure. you can, you can phone bank for us out here in Seattle, but I think a lot of the political problems that we've, we've been discussing for the last hour here really do, you know, could be partially solved by ranked choice voting. And I really want to encourage everybody state of Nevada, city of Seattle, go look them up. You can phone bank, you can donate. If you're interested in trying to actually improve our political process, I would really encourage people to get involved. Yeah, if we need important. to do a uh, real uh, progressives, uh, like round table group at, at some point, we'll have Luke, we'll have Steve, maybe Fadul, we'll have, uh, we'll have a handful of you guys on. I think it'll be that would be absolutely fun. wonderful. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Luke, thank you so much. Guys, thank if you, so you are check not out the currently subscribed to the Luke Parcher Show, make sure you get over to Real Progressives. Check him out. His work is great, as is the rest of that wonderful group trying to teach legitimate economics. Well, it seems to me, to me any friend of Steve's is a friend of mine. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Have a great well, week. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, we'll see Luke. you soon. Bye. Bye. Take care. So, a great He's show all lovely. around, I would say. Uh, but yeah, I do think that this is going to be. Oh, he's adorable. Uh, I'm sad to hear that about Fetterman, but I can see it. I think it's just, you know, look, it just bums me out because I, even though it's not like I'm thinking he's like the be all end all greatest candidate or person, but he's certainly the closest thing we have to any kind of populist that I see sort of running that's like a working person. And the fact that he's running against such an elitist douchebag. Like you couldn't see more of a, an opposite thing. And it's Jen, just am I, crazy. Am, am, am I wrong to think that there are de registered Democrats in the suburbs of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh that are going to vote for Oz? I, it's it's so weird to me. But it's like, and I, he's so, uh, but I think he kind of just, he fits into their, he is more of their speed. I so than, prefer Dr. Phil to Dr. Oz. I really do. I feel like kind of if we're going to have like an Oprah-based candidate, can't we go with the, the nicer Could ones? Could have the two doctors running against each other. I actually like that. I like Dr. Phil. I know people say crap. You are an idiot. Okay. No. But I just seriously, Dr. Oz, the, everything about him is I'll just so elitist. I'll tell you, what you, and, I tell you uh, what you won't like about Dr. Phil. He was on Joe Rogan the other day. And I saw that. He, yeah, but he's trying to explain socialism and I'm just thinking, holy shit, dude, you really don't know what you're yeah, talking Yeah, but you know about. what? He needs to just stay in his lane. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? He actually is 
a, a therapist and doesn't claim to cure people and really just sets people up with services and stuff. And I'm sure people say all sorts of crappy stuff about him. Like, mm. Nobody lets me like anybody. Kind of, it's like, if it were up to everybody, I wouldn't even be able to eat because I'd have to boycott everything. Like, you know, it's like at some point, but no, I think that he's helped people. And I think that that's a net positive. I do. So whatever. We will be back with the election. Yeah, I saw somebody coverage. asking that. Uh, haven't heard back from Max yet, but uh, RVK will be. Along. Oh my God, I love Harvey. Thank you, Tyler. Good to have you. So yeah, we're not going to do a show Monday, guys. We're going to do a Tuesday and a Wednesday. So because we have a guest lined up for Wednesday, I'm very excited about it. Her name is Beth Macy. She is the author of Dope Sick. For anybody who has not seen the miniseries on Hulu, I mean, it's a book. By all means, read the book. I didn't know it was a book till after I saw the miniseries, and it's Michael Keaton, and it's really good. Um, but she also just recently wrote a book called Raising Lazarus. We're going to be talking with her about the opioid epidemic. It's a crisis and how it has not been handled. I'm sure you'll all be shocked to know that there's a lot of intersection between big pharma and lack of health insurance. No, It's crazy. I know. And so, um, but yeah, so she's going to be on Wednesday. So Tuesday, we're going to do like an election recap. And I'm, I'm feeling really kind of upset about that. I mean, like, I'm expecting Florida is going to be a train wreck. Um, and I'm kind of in a sick way, like wanting to see it because I really do feel like the Democrats need to hit rock bottom. I do. Like, I feel like if they don't reach the nadir, they're never going to be able to get out. Like maybe that's, it's tough love. I feel like it's a tough love situation with them. Well, some people really need to wake up to what's going on. And that is the reality of the world we're living in right now. It's just a series of mistakes that are being compounded every day. And all the while, the whole focus that they're trying to make it is about what happened with Pelosi. And that's not to say that what happened wasn't bad, but let's remember why we're heading in this direction. Let's remember why people are so desperate and they know that there are elected representatives, no matter what party they're in. Are the Democrats correct when they say that the GOP won't make it any better? Yeah, most likely they won't. But the Democrats aren't doing anything either. And the reason they're not doing anything is because our government is captured by corporate special interests. They are one and the same. Yeah. It is basically fascism in its own way. It's corporate because, fascism. Because it is corporate fascism because yeah. that's what it is. Business, big business, not small business, big business controls the state. And when that happens, where do you go? Well, and we also, you know, and you see that's part of it when we see increase in policing, increase in militarism, that's all part of fascism. Like it's sort of when it's not just that corporations control the state, it's they do. But then you also have that there's this authoritarian type slant and a militarized presence. And that it's, it's a combination of factors. And when people want to like wonder, are we authoritative? Um, well, no, you can't point to one person and say, oh, Joe Biden's a dictator or this or that. Right. But when you look at the fact that our policy does not reflect the will of the majority, but reflects the will of a minority, that's authoritative. When you have a few people telling the majority how to live and what to do and what they're entitled to. Um, and that's what we have. So, yeah, it's somewhat it's authoritative. It's just not one individual. And there's a lack of cohesion that exists out there. Uh, I really think in many ways, uh, and again, I, I keep people's identities protected because I do speak with people on the Hill that are very high up on the hog. And I can assure you all that one of the reasons why 
some of these representatives, um, you know, do not ever get anything going is because the elected representatives on the Hill don't like theatrics. They really don't like it. And that goes without saying for, I mean, anybody, if you think about it, whether it's Pelosi doing her little dance, whether it's McConnell going hers, whether it's the squad, particularly AOC, whether it's Ted Cruz, whether it's Lindsey Graham. They're all on the same team. It's not ours. People don't like that stuff. They don't like attention seekers on the Hill. The goal is to do a job. Bernie Sanders is the best example of that. Bernie will speak to the media, but he, I think he deliberately comes off as a curmudgeon because he knows that this is serious stuff. This isn't stuff to be joking around about and being a celebrity, which is what a lot of people want to be. What do you think Marjorie Taylor Greene is? Oh, oh, I think she's a lot of things. She is a- I can make a list. She's a celebrity of the worst kind as is a number of others. Let me tell you who the next big celebrity politician is coming down the pike who is going to win on Tuesday. And that's Carrie Lake is going to be the next governor of Arizona. Bank on it. And one of the reasons that's happening is because her opponent, Katie Hobbs, refused to debate her. See, it's not a good look. And she's behind. And if that's not enough, because Katie Hobbs has fumbled it so badly against Carrie Lake, it's likely going to cost Mark Kelly his Senate seat. So that's already won off the board for the Democrats. It's not good. It's a trickle down. It's trickle down. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. In Georgia, the only reason why Warnock and Walker are in a close race is because Kemp is going to beat Stacey Abrams probably handedly. And when that happens, it has a ripple effect. And I think, Raf- and I think Raphael Warnock's a good senator. We don't have a lot of them. He's and Herschel Walker is... And Herschel Walker will be a disaster oh, of proportions you can't even begin to understand. No, no, no. <clears throat> We're beginning to understand. Uh, he is... Uh, I am hoping that Warnock survives. Because that's ugly, Georgia people. That is ugly. Ooh. There was a pastor who really gave it to uh, Walker today. Good. Like a big known pastor. who's almost like you're a fool if you vote for this guy. Good. Yeah. Good. Why did you wait until early voting has already begun? Mm, that's another story. So All right, that's talk, you want to talk points about, about this? this. Uh, no, I have a couple more that I want to touch upon. Okay. I hope that Mandela Barnes pulls it off against Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. I think there's still a reasonable chance that that's possible. We'll see if that ultimately comes to pass. Uh, I'm not holding my breath. I'm still not convinced that Tim Ryan is going to beat J.D. Vance in Ohio. I don't feel that one. And... I don't feel that way. In part, you know, Tim Ryan, it's kind of like a love-hate thing because Tim Ryan is actually really good on labor. But past that, he's not good on much. But I feel like my my thoughts on Ohio, which are based on the amount of time we spent on the ground in Cleveland and just what we saw there. And I just, I I don't know. I'm not feeling, I really feel like J.D. Vance is going to win that. Yeah. And and another and another thing that hasn't been talked about is the fact that and I do somewhat sympathize with the fact that Tim Ryan has basically been abandoned by the Democratic Party. <coughs> they really haven't provided him money. 
No, you don't hear about that race very much at all. McConnell decided to pump over $30 million into Oz's coffers against Fetterman. Maybe he knew that Fetterman's situation actually was so bad that they could actually sneak in and get the win. Because for the GOP, it doesn't matter how buffoonish they are. It doesn't matter how egregious they are, how much they lie. Clearly. Winning is all that matters. It doesn't matter if it's Dr. Oz or Herschel Walker. Oh. It just matters winning at all costs. I really feel like... That's the GOP. Yeah, but I, I feel like I'm almost in... It's like a bizarro universe. It's so strange. Like, like smart is dumb and down is up. And it's like everything is like, I don't know. It's so strange to me. Mark, I think Shapiro is going to is gonna beat Mastriano. That I do believe. I do believe Shapiro will, will be <clears throat> Mastriano. Mastriano is, you want it to, you see, Mastriano is at the level of Carrie Lake. The only difference, the big difference between the two of them is Carrie Lake is an exceptional politician. And if you haven't seen her handle the media or give a speech, oh, she's got chops, baby. She's lining up to beat Trump or DeSantis' VP. Bank on that one. Because that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. Will it be? I don't know. But I kind of agree that it's uh, it's not looking good. It's just not looking good. And the biggest reason it's not looking good is because the Democratic Party is a party that is embracing war and rejecting economic populism for working people. That's a recipe for disaster. You add inflation and crime into the mix, along with a border <laughs> problem, it's going to be bad. And I feel bad for those that are fighting for the right causes. And we have some really awesome people, thank goodness, that are going to get to Capitol Hill. Yeah. There are some good people that are going. Jasmine Crockett, Greg Kazar, knock on wood, Summer Lee. Oh. APAC decided to get their stick their nose in that of race. Of course they did. They already did, didn't they, in the primary? And she was able to slip through them anyway. Now they're trying to get the GOP candidate elected. We should really show you. So to me, I have to tell you, any Democrat that affiliates with APAC, it's like you're really laying down with dogs. You're really and you're really in with it. Like, it's just not it's not a good situation. If you're taking money from the same people, they're just about their own little thing. And last but not least, uh, and thank you, Emerald, for bringing it up. Let's not forget whether it's Governor Pritzker in Illinois or tons of others within the Democratic establishment. They have been funding these Trump backed candidates with the thought in mind. Well, if we get them in the general, they'll definitely vote for us. That's well, that's their Pied Piper strategy. And it's worked about as well as they're sort of referring to people as deplorables or as Charlie Chris said, I don't want DeSantis voters. They don't learn or they perfectly learn. And this is exactly what they intend to do, which is what I think. And I just feel bad for all the people at the grassroots level for them that are phone, doing phone banking and canvassing and working for them because they think that this is like a real party to be fighting for because they're so scared of the Republicans. And finally, and last but not least, I've paid very close attention to the mailers that have been sent out, the advertisements for all candidates in the area. And until today, I never saw a disgusting smear like the one that I saw no. for Ruth Carter Lynch. And we all know that it is on behalf of Jeff Holness, which probably is on behalf 
of Dale Holness. It's just wholeness. When you see this uh, advertisement, where basically, and I'm sorry I don't have it with me right now. He was going to bring it in, but he forgot. But the advertisement basically paints her as anti-LGBTQ, uh, anti-students. It, it's as, just, well, first of all, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It is. It is. It's just they are so desperate. It's disgusting. And if people you can't win, I'm get, listen, to people, people are going to be campaigns. people are going to run what they're going to run. And if there is a real legitimate scandal, as there is with a number of what a surprise, a number of electeds here in Broward County, that's fine. If it's factual, that's fine. But this is propaganda totally of the worst kind. And this is the type of thing that turns people off from ever wanting to be involved in politics. You want to know why slimy people make it to high levels of elected uh, office? Because most people don't vote. Yes. And one of the reasons they don't vote is because when they see stuff like this, they say, the hell with this shit. Why would I want to be involved? And if you see the bickering that goes on at these local voting sites, oh, you, you would admit. recognize why the average person would take one look at this and say, it's, I'm out. It's I'm out. I don't want anything to do with that. And I sure as hell ain't voting for it. So if anybody got that mailer about Ruth, it's trash. It's trash. It is. And I would bet that if you were to look up that pack, that it might not even be a real pack either that no. sent it out. No, it's they, basically- They are it's so front, smarmy here. It's a, it's a front. It's a front. Yeah. That's what it is. That's all. Yeah. And so- I like Ruth. Another election will pass. And I voted for Ruth. I didn't get to because it wasn't my district. He's across the other side. The first person I did vote for on my ballot, I it was a big oh, ballot. Did you vote today? I did. Oh. There was a big, <clears throat> lots of things to, lots of people to vote for. Lots and lots of people. What'd you vote on Amendment 3? That was the... I, 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 I voted, voted no. Same. Okay. Yeah, I voted All no. Right. I read it carefully. I wouldn't I ask you to divulge people, but I would ask you to divulge the issue. But the one person's first name that I saw that my eyes locked in on, the first person that I saw, and I circled it big and proud, Sheila Sherfulis McCormick. Sheila Sherfulis McCormick. As soon as I saw it, I said, well, that's the easiest one on the list. Sadly for me, that was not my option. Again, he's right just across the border. My option is, you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Oh, you can't vote for that. Debbie so Wasserman Schultz. So just leave it blank. But anyway. If you have nothing you nice to say, say nothing. Just say nothing. <laughs> so it's but I really think that the lesson to be learned um, here as we go forward is we have to unite outside of the electoral process around labor and the environment. Those are the two prime issues of the day, and it's what unites the most people. People want clean drinking water, and they sure as hell want to have a living wage and universal health care. Can, so, I, can I say that I voted for Robert Milley in the primary? That, yes, of okay. course. I would have voted for him, too, if I had the chance. I voted for Robert Milley in the primary. But we appreciate you guys. We hope you enjoyed. We noticed that there has been a more consistent uptick with people coming to watch us after nine o'clock instead of eight o'clock. Killing me, people. So we're thinking about uh, proceeding. We are generally not going to stay until 11 o'clock, but the conversation with Luke just flew oh, he's, easily. So. He's so cute. He's such a cute boy. He's a good guy. Yes. So we have, uh, we're small but mighty, but we're, we're going to continue to bring in more subscribers, more viewers. Hope you guys will do as we always ask. Go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can become a supporter of our channel financially, which is a big deal. So that's how we can contribute to candidates like Anthony Nieves, who is a completely non-corporate candidate running to represent people the right way in Tallahassee. Lord knows we can use more of that. 
and of course, causes that really matter, like mobile school pantry or renewable with composting. Or the Hallandale High School Community Garden. Or anything that Jen's best bud, Mona Lisa Weber, right. is involved I donate, to, like you guys, I really do make good use of the money. Like it goes to really good things, I promise. But if you are considerably more generous and you want to do $10 a month, you will get two wonderful stickers. Yeah, You'll get the stickers. Mansion Parliamentary 2024. And Lord knows after next Tuesday, <laughs> this is going to go up in considerable value. So you're going to want to get one. And then, of course, you've got the Lulu sticker. And who wouldn't want this cute little munchkin? She hasn't been on. Lulu hasn't been, like, in her best way lately. She's having some health issues. So if you contribute, you'll get one, and that'll make you feel that much better about supporting our wonderful channel. But if you are really feeling generous and really want to help, $25 a month will get you the Generational Change Baseball Silky Smooth Jersey. It's a, it's the Tri-Blend. It's it really, really nice. It really works. Tri-Blend is the best. But our, both our shirts are that. And if you are thinking about getting involved in a political campaign in 2023 or 2024, tri-blend t-shirts highly the recommend are the best. Yeah. We're well, best. and I could say that specifically for hot places. I can't say what I would do in colder places, but hot places. Yeah. And last but not least, if you are feeling exceptionally generous and you are a small business owner and you happen to be, especially in South Florida, and would like promotion for $50 a month, every single show. We will promote your small business. And the small business that we have is only one, but a great one. Apex Small but mighty. Apex Insurance Agency in Delray Beach, Florida. I am a former Delray Beach resident. I speak very, very highly of this particular organization. Whether it is home, auto, or even life insurance, you will find yourself getting really good rates because you're cutting out the corporate conglomerate middleman. So call Apex Insurance Agency. Get a quote today. See what they can do to help you. You might be surprised. <clears throat> Are we done? You can be done, but I feel like I should do a little bit of a reading because I feel like I should be somewhat consistent. So we've been doing this. I feel like instead of Bible readings, I've been doing constitution readings because everybody, honestly, it's not it's not a long read. Everybody should have one. Everybody should read it. You should know it. Um, <clears throat> and so we started reading this. And we started into um, Article One. We did Section Two, and I got to like the third paragraph. So this is from Article One, Section Two, Paragraph Three. Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states which may be included within this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined. Here's where it gets juicy, people. By adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years, and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. They capitalized persons, which I think is interesting, because they certainly didn't think they were worthy of more than three-fifths. So I, I just think that's kind of interesting. It's amazing what people thought in the 1780s. Right? So so this is, this is the kind, you know, just even... Indians, like, I don't know, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, all right, so there's that. So the actual enumeration, meaning the amount of representatives that will be elected to an area, okay? So the actual enumeration shall be made within three years after the first meeting of the Congress of the United States and within every subsequent term of 10 years in such a manner as they shall be by law direct. So... Anybody who's paying attention, that's the census. 
That's where we get the census is from right there. So the census is from Article One, Section Two, Paragraph Three. So it's talking about that we apportion congressional representatives according to accounting every 10 years. So that's what we now do. That's the census. The number of representatives shall not exceed one for every 30,000, but each state shall have at least one representative. And until such enumeration shall be made, the state of New Hampshire. Okay. The rest of this just delegates how many for each of the states at the time. I don't need to read that because we've expanded quite a bit. So, uh, when vacancies happen in the representation from any state, the executive authority thereof shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies. So basically the governor of the state will appoint or issue, set the time for the election to fill the vacancy of a congressional seat. That's what that means. So that's where those rules are from. And then finally, the House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and shall have the sole power of impeachment. So that's where you get the, the power of impeachment in the House. And that concludes Article 1, Section 2. We will pick up with Article 1, Section 3 next time. We'll see you on election night. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.